Life is back on, sports bettors, and BetUS has your NBA, NHL, UFC, PGA, and yes, NFL betting lines up for their 27th year and live betting on all of it. Log in to BetUS.com or call 800-729-3887. That's 800-729-BETUS. BetUS for 125% bonuses with promo code JONES22. Customer service pros are ready to get your phone and social and online sports betting kickoff started now. Play with the proven mainstay in the industry, BetUS. You bet, you win, you get paid. BetUS.com. You can also use the promo code JONES22 with crypto for a 200% bonus. That's BetUS.com. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones, we're so glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, going to be joined by Steve Weish of the NFL Network. Yes, we will go around the National Football League with Steve as we get his thoughts on the NFL offseason to this point, as well as looking ahead to next week's NFL draft. Plus, later on, we'll have Coach Bo's football fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group, including our official studio soapbox mock draft. And then later on, we'll have our Tom Fullery story of the week as well at the end of the show. Joining me this week in for Thomas Bridges is our good friend Derek Haglund of Sports Radio 810 and ESPN Kansas City there in KC. And he's holding things down so we can uh, keep this thing afloat. Derek? It is good to hear from you. We love having you on from time to time. Thanks for stepping in for uh, Thomas Bridges this evening. Tyler, my man, it is it is great to see you. Good to see that uh, you have been blessed with uh, good health. I hope you had a good Easter. I know Thomas is out, so thank you for asking me to fill in. I'm not going to be Thomas Bridges. I, I can't replace those shoes. I'm just going to be the best Derek Haglund that I can be on this podcast this week, and hopefully that's enough. And if not, I probably won't get invited back. Right. You can think of this as uh, your official audition, you know, and, and if it's great, maybe we just don't bring Thomas Bridges back. Maybe we just kick him to the curb, you know, and just ride with you, Derek. Well, if, if, if I take Thomas, uh, if, if I take Thomas's place, I'm definitely adding it to uh, my Tinder profile. Perfect. That sounds great. <laughs> How would you not swipe right on a bald head that is on a podcast? That's right. Exactly. This is beautiful, <laughs> baby. <laughs> Derek, uh, we get a lot to get to on the show, but I got to tell you, I am uh, so excited. I don't have to walk around with a mask uh, in airplanes anymore. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited for that, uh, too. I actually leave. I, I saw the little exchange you and uh, Tim Fitzgerald were having the other day about that. I'm excited because I leave to go to Denver next Thursday. Uh, I'm going out to go visit my cousin. We're going to the Avalanche game on Thursday. They play the Predators, and then uh, we're going to go to a couple uh, Rockies games when the Reds are in town. Uh, and I am very much looking forward to not having to deal with that shit on public transportation. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Like, th- those things – I feel like I got my freedom back finally, you know, not having right, to wear a mask. Right. Like this is, this is it. I, I have no plans to ever wear a mask for the rest of my life. Uh, barring like being there for the birth of my you know, future child or some sorts. Like I, I'm not going to be wearing a mask anytime soon and no Uber or Lyft or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's great. Well, like Uber and Lyft, I feel like they kind of dropped that stuff for the most part, like over the summer. I remember when I was in a couple um last summer and i'm like look you know hey i'm vaccinated like i'm not 
am I cool? And they're like, oh, I am too. I'm like, cool. I'm not putting this on. Oh, so I usually, what, what I, I like to, I'll do if, if I remember, if I'm in a position to remember is I would ask hard at your or, or Lyft driver. Yes. Um, do I need to wear a mask? And most of the right. time they say, no, you're fine. You're all good. But every once in a while you get a Corona bro. That's like, yes, you need to be wearing a mask. And one time, so this was in Vegas about a month and a half ago, and I had a few too many, and I did not have a mask on me and did not wear a mask. And that driver reported me. And then I, the next time I rode an Uber, Uber made me take a picture of my face with a mask on before it let me get in the vehicle. Man, loose lips sunk that ship. <laughs> snitch is definitely getting stitches up in here right you yeah vegas yeah. they they're not messing around i guess so I, I i know they say what happens in vegas stays in vegas but did the mask at least come back with you or did it stay there it came back with me because i had to fly on the airplane right right, you know, right bring that mask on but yeah that was uh not ideal to you know <laughs> get somebody tattletelling on me for not wearing a mask you know i mean why you gotta why you gotta break the rules, Tyler? I know I'm a rule breaker, you know. That's that's how I roll. When I was in uh Orange County like a week or two ago, I asked the Uber driver, like, hey, do I need to be wearing a mask? And she's wearing like this big old K95 mask and says, Yes, you need to be wearing a mask. You know, I'm like, okay. You going right. in for surgery? <laughs> right. I'm, I'm just hanging out here in the back seat you know i mean the airplane right. one never really made sense to me derek because you know air airplanes if anything are the most clean air of all like 99.7 percent of air particles just you know are, are well and, and, anyway. and since they when the pandemic started they revamped everything including the cleaning process and the air quality process and everything when when covid really hit and was rampant you know like from April of 2020, um, you know, through like December or whatever, like they really made, uh, they really, they really made some huge strides, um, on, on that. Yeah. Um, by the way, before we get to the, uh, the business of the day, I, I do want to mention, um, I did today wear a, uh, Missouri Southern shirt, uh, and that was, by accident, I uh, I I'm not going to apologize, but I I, I didn't think it consider was. the fact that you are an alum of uh, Central Missouri. I should have taken that to account before I got dressed this morning, Derek. Yeah, um, you know, uh, a written apology, a uh, uh, an apology on on social media, um, and then maybe you know buying me Whataburger uh, next time we're we're together, and and I can forgive you for wearing that god awful shirt. <laughs> I don't worry about the mules. I just love the. I, I, don't, I don't. I don't have anything against like you know. It would have been one thing like had you <laughs> rolled up in your there head? with like a, a, a Northwest Missouri State like three time national champion shirt. Like we'd have had problems. Like I'd have probably hung up and okay. disconnected from from this meeting because that's like the one school as, that I think everybody in the MIAA hates. And I mean Ben McCollum's great. He's phenomenal. What they've done up there is is amazing. I think he needs to go. And and try to do something at the Division One level, um, yeah. because there's nothing left for him to accomplish at the Division Two level. So everybody in, in the MIAA hates Northwest, but you're jealous of their success. But 
you know, at the same time, like, can we fucking get rid of this guy so other schools can start doing something? You know, we won a national championship when I was in school, Tyler. People forget that that was eight years ago. But UCM did win a men's basketball national championship when I was in school. You know, I'm turning into one of those guys back in my day. um, You know, I'm turning into that guy. Yeah. I can't believe it went over your head. I literally just said, I don't worry about the mules. I just love, you know, Hey, Hey, you know what? You don't worry about the mules. You just load the wagon. So not, not those UCM mules. We don't worry. No, about them. no, no, no. You got to worry about them. Cause they are the actual mascot of the school. Right now. Um, I, I actually wear this. Uh, one of my best friends from college, uh, Reed Williams, uh, is the director of marketing at uh, 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 Southern. So, uh, he'd be happy to see that uh, I chose this uh, attire today. But uh, nonetheless, uh, Derek, uh, some big news today uh, involving Jay Wright, the now former head coach at Villanova, with the shocking announcement that he is retiring effective immediately. And, you know, he's only 60 years old. He's won two national titles with Coach K stepping out of the way. It looked like that it was – in position for him and Bill Self to kind of be 1A, 1B of the top coaches in the country, and now he steps aside. We'll talk about uh, what's what this all means for college basketball in just a moment, but first, just focusing on Jay Wright. Derek, I know that, you know, he, he kicked KU's ass a couple times, and that was painful for us. Uh, I'm glad yeah. that KU got him on his last time, but nonetheless, uh, I, I still respect the hell out of Jay Wright. I like Jay Wright. Uh, what he did for Villanova, good for college basketball and such. Uh, he's going out the right way. I'm going to miss Jay Wright. He, he was a, a lot of fun. I won't miss Kansas playing Jay Wright and Villanova, but I, I do like Jay Wright. Uh, great guy, and he'll be missed for the game. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, PTSD from 2018, anytime you you say Villanova, just immediately Ooh. makes you think of, you know, 22 to 4. Um, when they just stomped a mud hole um, in Kansas. But that was a really, really good Villanova team. I mean, like, as we look back on it, like, Mikhail Bridges, finalist for defensive uh, player of the year in the NBA this year. Jalen Brunson had 40 points the other night in a game uh, in the playoffs for the Dallas Mavericks. Like, you know, really, really good team. But, you know, Jay Wright was a guy who, when he left Hofstra and took over Villanova, Villanova was struggling. Like, that's what people, I don't think, realize is that, it took him a long time from when he took over, I think in 01 or 02 at Villanova to build that program up. And then he got a player in Scotty Reynolds that got him to the final four. He had been in a couple of lead eights um, in, in, in previous years, but then, you know, he got over that hump, got to the final four with Scotty Reynolds. And then it was a long time before he got, it was, you know, seven years before he got back and then he won his first national title. And then, you know, he did something that's very hard two in three years. And then, you know, made, made his third final four. He's just, he's a phenomenal coach. And the, the, the sport of college basketball takes a hit. I mean, you, you think about it, like think about the guys that the sports just lost in the last, you know, calendar year or so coach k is finally gone you know at, at least you know i'm really sad jay wright's not getting you know the parade around and all the flowers and gonna yell at the uh the home fans if they lose their last home game like coach k did um and and everything but like you know jay wright phenomenal coach hall of famer roy williams hall of famer uh Co- coach k you know all these guys and you know jay wright being the youngest of all of them and i think the most surprising that he decided to walk away it it it's you can't replace guys like that 
No, I mean, you know, you can you can have somebody fill in and 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 take that job. And I and I, and, and I'm not a fan of the guy that they're they're hiring who was a J. I didn't assistant. know who Kyle Neptune was before today. Never heard of him. Had never heard of him. I didn't even realize Fordham was a Division One basketball program. Um, I, I I I knew they were a university, but I didn't know they were Division One. And he could went qualify 500 for last year at Fordham. Yeah, and 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 you know. It's early enough to where you could have gone and gotten a guy who was maybe ready for that at a bigger school. Um, you may you know, have been I mean, able to bring in Brad Stevens. Or, or a guy like, you know, obviously you, you never know when it was going to happen because he wasn't going to say anything when they were making their run. But, like, don't you think that would have been a job that Jerome Tang would have been inter- interested in? I mean, he's yeah. at K-State now, but, like, he could have been really good for that at Villanova. Yeah. So it's just it's 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 crazy um, to see. I don't because- feel like Jay Wright's done yet. I think you know his coaching style would be perfect for the NBA. I don't know if he wants an NBA job or if he goes to another program. He's still relatively young and such. You know, at, at sixty, I don't think we've seen yeah. the last of Jay Wright. Well, see, I'm I'm in the opposite because from what I've heard is that Jay has always said. I was listening to some national people and I was tuning into some Philadelphia radio stations. The fanatic was one of them tonight. And they said, Jay Wright was never going to be a guy who was going to coach into his seventies. He never wanted that. It's maybe a little earlier than he was wanting to walk away, but it's, you know, he's walking away on his terms and he's decided when he wants to um, walk away and everything. But they've said like, he really doesn't have any interest. You know, there's that rumor out there. Well, if doc rivers leaves and leaves the Sixers, you know, Jay Wright, yeah, apparently he doesn't really have, much interest in coaching in the nba yeah yeah i I think that he he does the tv thing for a year or two and then we hear jay wright's name continue to come up whether it's top college jobs or nba jobs i I would be shocked if we've seen the last of jay wright at this point i i do think that he's not coming back anytime soon but i do think that we see him coaching get back on that bench at at some point i I think for the next two years, two seasons, we're going to hear his name in a lot of coaching cycles in terms of, oh, well, you know, like if a job opens up or something, you know, like I don't think a lot of people realize if, if, if Calipari has an early exit from the tournament again this upcoming year at Kentucky, like a lot of UK fans are pissed and want him gone because, you know, he hasn't gone- Smith won a national title at Kentucky and still got fired. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and the crazy thing is, I mean, you know, obviously we've had these conversations where Kentucky and Duke and Carolina and Kansas and, and UCLA are the five most preeminent jobs in all of America, but he hasn't been to a final four since 2015. He hasn't made a, a run to the second weekend since 2015. And, you know, it, 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 it's funny because the, the whole entire talk, you know, two weeks ago at the final four was, you know, for a long time, it was, you wanted to get young. You wanted to have all these guys who could play in the NBA and who had all this athleticism that could carry you. Um, and that's how you can win a national championship and Bill self and Jay Wright and all these other guys who were at the final four, two weeks ago, all said, Oh no, like it's shifted again. Now, now you want to be as old as you can be to be able to be in contention for a national championship. You can't win being super young. Like, you know, Duke did in 2015 and Kentucky did in 2012. Like, it's a lot harder. Well, and with NIL now, too, yes, you can keep guys around. Like, Oscar Shibway is going to make more playing for Kentucky next year than he mm-hmm. would being 
a second a round, second round draft on a two way contract. It's not guaranteed. Yeah. And he's taken he's taken private flights. You know, they're not, you know, bussing around like they are in the G League or flying coach. You know, they're on private planes and they've got all these other amenities to them. And, you know, in, in Kentucky where basketball is God, he's going to be treated like one. Right. I uh, to mean, me, it's a no brainer. Like, why not maximize it? Sheepway is going to be the most popular athlete in the state of Kentucky next year. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a different game now. NIL, yeah. I think, has been to the benefit of college basketball. Yeah. And, 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 and it's so funny. It's like all these people that, that thought that it was going to ruin the sport and, you know, do all this and, and make it bad. Like, like are, are, are people really mad at, you know, did they support David McCormick less because he was selling hamburgers for Wendy's? Like, did it really impact? Like, I mean, I, I'm being serious. Like, yeah. did it impact how one felt about David McCormick? Yeah, like, he gave you times where he was frustrating, but he played the best games of his career in the NCAA tournament and the Final Four National Championship game. But it didn't matter at all one way or the other whether he was selling hamburgers for, for Wendy's and he was able to play basketball and make money. There's nothing right. wrong with that. I, I think it would have been better if he was uh, with McDonald's. You could have had Big Dave with yep. Big Mac, you know. That's right. Uh, you could have had the Big Dave. The Big Dave, but. That's uh, right, man. You know, nonetheless, uh, I, I'm happy that he was able to secure that bag and while well, he was right. there at Kansas. But uh, no, nonetheless, uh, you know, Jay right now out of the way there at uh, Villanova. And for me, we were talking about this on Twitter before the show, Derek. It's pretty evident. Bill Self, no question, is the best coach in America now. And there's not a debate. There was a debate before no. with him and Jay right there. Not only is he the best coach in America, better than Mark Few, Tom Izzo, Tony Bennett, yeah. guys. I think in a, in a sport that is built on coaches, I would take it a step further and say Bill Self is the face of college basketball right now. He took it from me. That's what I was going to say. I was going to raise you one and say that he is the face of college basketball now because of the fact that Jay Wright has retired and Coach K is finally gone and Roy Williams um, is gone. And, you know, I, I, I get Izzo's got eight Final Fours, but he can never get to the national championship game. He's got one title. The Michigan and, State's know, not they, even what they were a few years ago. No, no, not at all. And, and, and I think you're going to see – guys, not that Jay Wright wasn't able to adapt. I think he was just ready to walk away. But I, I think you're going to see guys who struggle to adapt to the new way of the college game, especially with NIL. I think you're going to see those guys struggle and probably leave sooner rather than later. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if in a few years, Izzo retires, Bayheim retires. Because they're old school guys that necessarily might not 100% believe in, in NIL and might not want to adapt. You know, Bill Self and Mark Few are both 59, but the difference is, is that Bill Self has won two national championships and has four Final Fours. Bill can recruit anyone. All he's got to go do is tap those two rings on somebody's desk. Mm -hmm. And whether it's a somebody in the portal or a, a kid coming out of high school, I mean, you know, them going and winning a national championship and having a guy like Remy Martin who transferred in, who was injured most of the year, but then, you know, got to March. And literally, if they don't have Remy Martin, they don't win the national championship. 
and Remy showed in the national title game that he had the biggest balls on the team, that that step back three um, is, is still unbelievable how he decided to take that shot and then let alone made it. Um, I, I think you're going to see guys who, who struggle to adapt. They're going to get out of the sport earlier. Um, yeah. I, I don't think Bill's going to coach till he's 75. No, I, I could see Bill probably coaching six to eight more years, which I think he could probably win another couple of titles. And then that would put him in an even more elite class than he's already in. You know, I, I still count Rick Pitino as a guy who's won two national championships. I don't give a shit that, you know, the NCAA vacated it. We and saw everything. it. It happened. Right. You can't erase that from our memories. You can take it away from the record books, but you can't, you know, th this isn't, this isn't men in black. You know, you don't have a neuralizer to, to everyone in America. To Wouldn't say, that be cool though? Yeah, it, it would be, you know, I, I, that'd be badass. You know, we need to make know, that like, happen. That's right. Um, <laughs> talk with Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith. I know Will Smith has a lot of free time on his hands right now. Well, yeah. Um, he might just slap the crap out of you though. <laughs> right. Right. Um, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I, I, I think we're going to definitely see a lot of a, a, a lot the, the landscape change in a lot of ways over the over the coming years. Yeah, well, and one thing uh, when the, the college basketball discussion on this before we move on talking NBA playoffs is that now with Bill Self unequivocally the face of this sport and the best coach in this sport. You know, we're hearing these reports from Mike Vernon and some of these others that the IARP is closing in on their decision on the KU case and such. Now, I think whether the NCAA admits it publicly or not, they have to think about what do we want to do to the face of our sport now, to the right. reigning national champions. <laughs> to me, that is something that has to be factored in. Do you really want to hammer – Kansas and go after them when they are now carrying the mantle. Bill Self is the guy right now. I think um, I, I I don't think this is a stretch to say, Derek, that what is going on with Bill Self now being the face of the sport actually helps them in regards to getting this whole case resolved and getting it pushed behind them. I, I, I agree with you, but I also don't think that four years later you can really hand down like a severe, severe type of punishment. Right. Um, because, you know, I, I think they may try to take the 2018 season away. Um, but, you know, that's bullshit in and of itself. Um, we but saw. With the, yeah. I mean, you know, but with the IA, the, the, the IARP, you know, why is it that, you hear all this stuff and Zion Williamson's father is on an FBI wiretap and says it's $250,000 for my son's services to come to Kansas, but he goes to Duke for the brotherhood, you know, that's bullshit. Um, in, in my opinion, um, that, that, that's absolutely, uh, ridiculous. So, you know, I think you need to take all of those things into account for it as well. You, you haven't done anything to – yeah, Sean Miller's not at Arizona anymore. Will Wade's not at LSU anymore. But those guys are on wiretaps from the FBI. And the FBI was never able to make their case the way that they tried to make it and how, you know, they tried to come across in 2017 when they're like, we've got your playbook. We know what you're doing, and we're on to you, and we're going to get you. You didn't really prove anything. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and you did your job kind of shitty, and in, 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 in a way, like you you over you oversold and severely underdelivered. Right. 
Um, let's move on. Talk uh, NBA playoffs. Uh, let's start out Do with it. the uh, Golden State Warriors and uh, this team. Steph Curry coming off the bench from injury, but Jordan Poole has just been so impressive. And now I'm hearing people start to signal them. Derek is potentially the favorites in the Western <laughs> Conference now. I still like the Suns, even though their series is split 1-1. They, they gave up you know, yeah. one of those games to New Orleans. Uh, the way that Phoenix has played throughout this season, I still think they're the team to be. I like what Golden State's done, but uh, I, I still like Phoenix a little more. What do you make of what, what Golden State's doing right now? Are they the favorites now in the West, or does it still run through Phoenix? I, I... Phoenix losing Devin Booker for games three and four is going to hurt. I, I, I don't think he's going to play this the rest of this series against the Pelicans. They should I be able Phoenix, to win that series without him. You should be able to win. I, I've thought all season long that Phoenix is the deepest team in the league. When anybody's ever asked me about them, I've said I felt like they are the deepest team. I, I've not necessarily said I think they're the best team. I thought they are the deepest team because I think they go they go two to three deep at the point guard position. They go two to three deep at the shooting guard position and, and every position there, they're, they're about 12 deep. They should be able to beat an inferior Pelicans team, even without Devin Booker, who's a top probably 10 player in the league. Um, I'm amazed with, with, with the way that the Warriors have been able to battle back because, you know, everybody once Steph got hurt and the, and the Grizzlies went on that run, everybody was thinking, Oh man, like the Warriors are done. It's like, no, like, Let's not forget, like, Steph, Clay, Draymond Green, and, like, Andre Iguodala had all not really played together at all this year because Clay was coming back from, um, you know, his ACL and Achilles injury. Draymond ended up having back problems. By the time Draymond got back after the All-Star break, Steph got hurt. Um, and, and you saw this year for about the first two and a half months of the season that Steph was an MVP candidate and playing at an MVP level. And I, I think that America deserves Warriors sons in the Western conference finals. And, and I think that could be a seven game series and it's, it's pick your poison, but the, the emergence over the last, and I, and I think Clay Thompson missing time has really helped. Obviously the Warriors get a lot of young talent with Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody, who's hardly being used. Let's not forget James Wiseman can't get the swelling in his knee to go down. Otherwise he'd be a huge integral part of this team. And he's really young, but the emergence of guys like Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole, like I think Jordan Poole is a guy who, if he was on any other team, he'd be an all-star. Mm -hmm. I, I think he's that good. And the, the development that he, he has had over the last couple of years, the last two seasons has been phenomenal um, for that team. And I think it's been to their benefit that Clay was hurt because it allowed him the opportunity to develop. Yeah. Uh, it, it's been tremendous uh, to, to see what, what Poole has put together. And, and now it feels like, you know, remember a couple of years ago, Derek, when they had Kevin Durant company and yeah. Marcus Cousins. And if you were playing 2K with a buddy, uh, yeah. no one was allowed to be the Warriors. That was – yeah. That, that yeah. was cheating. You know, that wasn't fair. Yeah. It feels like the way that Jordan Poole's playing and, and such and the, the three-point shooting that, you know, they're back to having, you know, with the Splash Brothers and such, it, it almost yeah. feels like we're back to, okay, uh, the Warriors are off limits. You can't beat them on 2K. I'm not saying yeah. they're better than the Suns, but there's something about that team when that they look like they the, shade rolling, of their, they're, the, the they're, Warriors. They're unguardable. 
yeah, when they, when they get rolling, they're unguardable. But I think one of the things that we, we need to discuss too, Tyler, about when it comes to the Warriors is they had that window of five years where they went to the finals five straight times. And everybody knows when you're playing that deep into the postseason, it takes a toll on your body. Um, you know, and you saw it with Clay getting hurt. And then you saw it in the 1920 season with Steph breaking his wrist. And that allowed them to have high picks to be able to get some of these guys like a Jordan Poole or a Moses Moody and a Jonathan um, Kaminga and those guys. I think the biggest thing that this is doing, it's kind of two part is it's opening up another window for the Warriors and and the West is going to be tough. I mean, especially next year when Kawhi's back and Paul George is healthy and Jamal Murray's healthy and maybe Michael Porter Jr. Like the West is going to be really hard again next year too, if everybody's healthy. But the Warriors have the best front office and scouting department in the NBA. Like, I don't even think it's up for debate. Yeah. Like, Jordan Poole, Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody, you know. Wiseman's the only pick that they really missed on. Right. But but I don't know that you can necessarily say that that they missed on him 100% because he's been hurt. Right. And – and, 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 and there was a time period this year where they, they had sent him down and he was going to start practicing and he was cleared and everything and they can't get the swelling in his knee to go down. It's nothing structural. The, the same thing's happening with Lonzo Ball in Chicago. Mm-hmm. That every time they try to ramp him up, his knee starts swelling up and they can't get it to, to, to be manageable. And so, I mean, just think about that next year. If they get this under control when he's back, my God, like that just makes them even more dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right about that. Uh, here in Dallas, uh, Luca is still out for the time being, but Jalen Brunson stepped up huge on Monday uh-huh. night with that 40-plus performance, and uh, the American Airlines Center was rocking one of the best atmospheres that that building's ever seen before for his performance there. And, and, and you know, we, we were talking about Villanova and Jay Wright earlier, and, and, and Derek, it's so funny to me that, you know, I've always liked Brunson. We saw what he's capable yeah. of doing back in college. And all the so-called experts said, ah, oh, good college player, but not a good, not pro potential, you know? And, and right. he is looking like, you know, an all-star caliber player and stepping up in, in crunch time and filling the void for Luca. And, you know, there was folks that, that wrote off this Mavs team when Luca was going to be out for the first couple of games. I mean, Charles Barkley even said that he had the Jazz <laughs> sweeping the Mavs. And it looks like that they're going to have uh, Luca back for like game four or game five, one of those two, and that he should be there for the tail end of this series. Um, with the emergence of Brunson and getting Luca back here, maybe the, uh, the Mavs uh, still come out of this series when it's all said and done, Derek. Yeah, they, they, they absolutely – I think they absolutely can. I think they're absolutely capable. You know, in, in, in regards to – I will I want to touch on this about Brunson because you're 100% right. Um, when guys play for Jay Wright, he does he, – he, did, he didn't produce a lot of pros. But the guys he has produced can play. And they are coached well and they are great fundamentally. Um, and they know how to play the game at a high level once and if they get to the NBA level, like Jalen Brunson, Mikel Bridges, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, um, and so on and so forth. But it, it's just funny because Utah is the same team that we've seen for years. They're a team in the regular season where it's a lot easier to do this in the regular season than it is in the postseason to where they, they play defense. They've got Rudy Gobert, who is not an offensive threat at all. 
and that hampers them in the playoffs because you're really not running sets for him unless it's a lob or a dive to the basket or, or, or a back screen or anything like that. You've got Donovan Mitchell, who's an unbelievable player, but they're a team who loves to get and run and shoot transition threes. Well, in the playoffs, your transition opportunities are cut down drastically, and you have to be able to run and be successful in the half-court offense. And the Jazz have struggled under that under Quinn Snyder. It's been one of their biggest Achilles heels because – the way you play in the regular season and the, what makes them successful and why they won all those games last year and how they won this year, it's not conducive to helping you win in, in the playoffs. Like you have to have multiple guys in the playoffs that can go get you a bucket and can get their shot at any time. And outside of Donovan Mitchell, the jazz don't have that. Yeah. It's one thing to have Clarkson pull up for three or do something in the regular season, but they don't have those guys to be able to do that on a consistent basis in the playoffs. And that's why they're always out and never get to the conference finals. Yeah, Quinn Snyder's going to be out of a job here pretty soon. Yeah. Quinn but Snyder, I, I feel like, is um, the Kirkland George Carl. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 get the, I get the comparison. The difference is, is that George Carl actually had taken teams at, at, at times that were very, very bad and, and transformed them into – you know, really good teams. I mean, he built that Seattle squad. Um, he, he built Denver up at, at, at one point back in, you know, like 2008, 2009. So um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you in, in understanding what you're saying about uh, George Carl in that regard. Yeah. Um, before we move over to the uh, Eastern Conference, uh, anything else you want to add on the uh, West here? Um, no, not really. I mean, I just, I, like I said, I'm really hoping – for the, for the Western conference finals that we get uh, we get Suns warriors, because I, I, I think that people would really see just how great those two teams are. And, and I think that we could really see battles between those teams the next couple of years. Yeah. I will add one more thing on the West uh, quick note. I would like to say thank you in advance to the new Orleans Pelicans for their efforts to help the thunder win the 2026 through 2027 NBA championship by taking out the, uh, the the Clippers in the play-in game and helping the Thunder secure at least the number 12 pick in the uh, draft. Right. Uh, so thank you, uh, Pelicans. Uh, the, cheers to you. <laughs> the one thing I will add to is, isn't it great to be able to enjoy and watch the playoffs without LeBron in it and not have to hear the constant bitching and complaining and moaning and, 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 and normal bullshit you get from his fans every year? Like, that's what See, I really love about I mentioned right this now. last week on the show that I, know, I would be watching the playoffs either way, but I do Same. think that you would be watch you would watch to root against LeBron that he still 100%. makes it better. Uh, yeah. It's still better with him in it, but I am yeah. kind of enjoying not having to deal with hearing. It's refreshing. Uh, it's refreshing. Yes. It's, yes. It's, it's 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 refreshing to know that you're not going to have to deal with this all the way up until up into a um, potential finals run. Right. Right. Uh, we'll move on the uh, Eastern conference. Now uh, Ben Simmons <laughs> looks like he's finally going to show up. Uh, where you been, Ben? Been around, I guess. If you, if you see the, if you see the videos from Cassidy Hubbard through who lives in New York and works for ESPN. She's a phenomenal um, basketball insider for, uh, for, for ESPN. She's always showing these videos of Ben Simmons, like just shooting like this, 
with with Kyle Korver. I'm like, are you going to make him go out beyond like eight feet? Like, is he going to try a free throw or like, you know, maybe shoot a jump shot? Because if he shot, if he had a if he had a consistent jumper or at least like was willing to take it more regularly, I think he could be in that Giannis category of almost unguardable. Yeah. You know, when Giannis gets the ball near or in the paint, it's two points. Mm-hmm. Most times three, because you're going to foul him. And he's going to dunk it on your ass. Yeah. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what he does uh, when when he gets back out there and what kind of role he, he has because the Nets have played better basketball as of late. Kyrie yeah. Irving is on a tear. And we saw last year that this team struggled to adapt when everyone was finally available with, with Harden, Durant, and Kyrie Irving here. To get Ben Simmons in at this point and in a tough series that you have here against, uh, you know, that the uh, the number two seed out there in, uh, you know, in, in the uh, Sixers, uh, this one uh, for, for the Nets, I'm, I'm intrigued how, how this all comes together. What type? I don't know what we're going to see from Ben Simmons here. Like, I, I don't think you're really going to see anything from him offensively because he's never been a guy who you run a lot of sets for. I think he could help um, Brooklyn defensively. Absolutely. Um, because Kevin Durant has bad the first two games of the series against the Boston Celtics um, as the Celtics won again night, you know, the, the, the nets were up, I believe by 17 points at one point yeah. um, in the game. And then they blew, they blew that and Ky- Kyrie didn't play very well um, at all in, in, in game two. And Kevin Durant has played very bad, he, and I'm not going to say very bad, but he hasn't played to the Kevin Durant level that he needs to play at in, in, in the playoffs for them to be able to want to have a chance to advance um, in this series. Um, and so it's it's getting Simmons will help them defensively. I, I, I believe so. But I, I don't think that they are a better team overall than the Boston Celtics right now. I, I think that I no. think that Boston Jason is, is playing great. Jalen Brown's playing uh, un, un, unbelievable right now. Um, I'm sorry, DeMar DeRozan just sealed the game for the Bulls. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, Jason Tatum is playing unbelievable. Jason Tatum is playing like a guy who when, when, when they made that conference finals run in 2018 – I don't know how you thought, but I felt like when Jason Tatum that year was a rookie, I'm like, this guy's going to win multiple MVPs, multiple scoring titles, and he is going to restore the Celtics pride to what it once used to be. Like I I just saw championships for that guy. And I was like, he's going to be a top five player and MVP candidate. And, and it's taken him a while to get there. Yeah. Um, it, it has, it's, it hasn't gone according to planned per se, but no. he's, he's playing a lot better as of late and the, uh, the talent around him, you know, this year has played better collectively as, as a unit, you know, I, I would say, you know, I know that this is like getting into hot take territory, but I, I feel like that them moving Brad Stevens up to that general manager role and making the head coaching change was kind of a spark that they needed of some sorts. They needed that new voice in there for the this, this Celtics team. I think that's been 
a benefit for them to not have Brad Stevens as their head coach, as crazy as that sounds to say. Yeah, no, I mean, I, um, I, I agree. And, and I think that, that that was always his plan at, at some point was to do that. I, I don't, I, I thought when Brad Stevens left Butler to go to the Boston Celtics, that, that was always his plan was he'd always had an infatuation and wanted to go into the front office um, of the Celtics or somewhere else. So I never thought that he was a guy who was going to kind of be, you know, like that coach lifer where he coached for a long time. He wanted to try his hands at, 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 at a different aspect of the business. And so I, I think the hiring of M.A. Udoka has been phenomenal. I mean, if you look at the Celtics from January 1st on, they've been the best defensive team in the league. And yeah. they were a team that started out when they were struggling. You know, when Marcus Smart, the first couple of weeks was like, you know, I, I don't know what you want me to do when Jalen and Jason are, are, are handling the ball all the time and never passing and they're the ones taking all the shots. Ime Udoka has found a way to make these guys work and fit great together when I think for the first five years that they were together, that being Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, Brad Stevens wasn't able to find that balance and that right mix of how to play them and, and what type of offense to run. And, and I think a fresh new mind in M.A. Udoka has definitely done that. He would get my vote for, um, for coach of the year. The uh, Heat lead the Hawks two games to none. And we've seen, you know, Jimmy Butler's not playing the best basketball of his career. No. But the team around him is playing so good. Tyler Hero, you yeah. know, really stepped up this year. You know, Eric Spolster has done a really good job coaching that team. You know, the Miami Heat, I would say this, Derek, they're not the most talented team in the Eastern Conference, but they play the best at it collectively as a unit when it comes to coaching yeah. and what they do together. That's what makes this team so unique. It's not the talent level. It's the way that they're, they're on the same page. And I think that goes back to Eric Spolstra. He's done a hell of a job. Yeah. Yeah. Spoh's a, a, a hell of a coach. And I think you're seeing that what he's been able to do and how he's been able to have sustained levels of success after guys like LeBron D Wade have left and Chris Bosch had to retire um, and, and, and everything. Um, more so than that, Jimmy Butler has always been a guy who is the hardest worker in the room. He, he's never going to let you outwork him. You know, he had 45 the other night, um, in, 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 a, in, in that game against in game two against the Hawks. Um, but you know, to have Tyler hero who averaged 20 plus points off the bench for you during the regular season, be your sixth man. I, I I'd say that's, that's pretty impressive. Um, you know, the thing that's that 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 makes Eric Spolster and that Miami Heat team great, and you talk about it, is they're not a guy, they're not a team full of guys outside of Tyler Hero and and Bam Adebayo, who were both lottery picks or or high first round draft picks. They do so much with undrafted guys, mm -hmm. Duncan Robinson, Martin, uh, Deadman. You know, all these guys who play PJ Tucker, all these guys who play major, major minutes and are huge contributors to their team are undrafted. There's no other team in the NBA that is able to squeeze every ounce of talent out of undrafted guys and make it work the way that the Miami Heat do. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, 
you're going to have to go through Miami in order to win this. And, and, you know, I I think they're going to end up sweeping Atlanta here. You know, this Atlanta team is not the team that they were last year. You know, they've had a lot of injuries that they've dealt with and such. And, and I think people are seeing too, that, that Trey Young style of basketball um, is, is similar in a lot of ways and not in a good way to Russell Westbrook that, yeah, you know he, he's a better shooter than Russ was, but that you know point guard driven, you know ball, you know ball first point guard right type of basketball just doesn't work in this league. Uh, you know, I mean, what Steph Curry does is totally different than that that Trey Young Russell Westbrook brand. Well, and the other the other thing too is like with the Hawks is they overpaid to keep John Collins. And, right. and, and I think John Collins learned a lesson in terms of the off season where, you know, last year when they made that run, I felt like Atlanta arrived a year or two too early um, because I, I felt like last year they had no business being in the conference finals. There's no way that with the talent that that 76ers team had compared to the talent and the roster that the Atlanta Hawks had that, or the, 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 yeah, the Sixers that the roster that the Atlanta Hawks had, that they that they should have beat them. That was just right. Ben Simmons getting in his head and 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 everything. But you are seeing that, and you know Tyler. I I've had questions about Trey Young since his days when he was at Oklahoma. I've always kind of felt like he was a little bit of a soft player in terms of the 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 physicality of the way that he plays, um, or their the lack thereof has 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 been a detriment to him um and and i think that that hurts him especially come the playoff times but but they're going up against this miami team and tyler i i want to say this too miami's not the most talented team in the league but they're the toughest yes like those are like most guys on that team if you're going down a, a, a dark alley and you need to beat somebody's ass if they're coming at you you're selecting probably six or seven guys to start from the heat before you're taking anybody else in the NBA. Yeah. Especially you know, from Jimmy Atlanta. Butler, Jimmy Butler's up there. Markeith Morris is up there. You know, you, you're, you're picking a lot of those guys from right. the Miami heat. Right. Um, the uh, 76ers, man, you know, they're, they're, they're up in this series against Toronto. They've been playing really good. And I wonder, is James Harden going to figure it out and play like the James Harden that we know he's capable of? Because, you know, Joel Embiid is playing the best basketball of his career right now. And it looks like, the MVP. you know, the best player in the league at the moment. Yeah. You know I mean, like he's unstoppable. You can't guard him. And he's nope. doing it from the post, from the outside, everywhere. If they can get James Harden to look like the James Harden from just two years ago, nobody could beat this team. But yeah. he's not playing to that level yet. Can James Harden get back to what we know he's capable of, Derek? Well, um, is that a question for us or the strip clubs to answer? <laughs> That's, you know, uh, sorry. I, I had to pause there for dramatic effect. Um, but, you know, I've always wondered, especially the last couple of years, and, and, and since that, I, I think it was 2018 where – the 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 Rockets had Chris Paul and James Harden and and they pushed the the Warriors to a game seven and the, and Chris Paul was out with the hamstring injury that was 20, 2018 um I, I've always felt like since then Harden's confidence in the playoffs he's been a totally different player in terms of 
he it feels like and looks like he kind of gets the yips and sometimes like the moment is too big for him like yeah, yeah they should sweep and win and beat this toronto team you know because they're without scotty barnes they're up 3-0 even though matisse thibel is not eligible to play very right much now. like paul george and, right and and, and and even though matisse thibel is not eligible to play in canada right now because he's not vaccinated um and he's the sixers best defender the, the sixers still have a better roster whether the raptors had scotty barnes available or not um I, I just feel like right now if harden could knock down some shots and take a little bit of the pressure off of Embiid, that it would actually make joel Embiid more dominant because i think he would get more free looks and better looks and i honestly think his efficiency and his points would go up because, I mean, if you look at it and you watch it, he's getting double and triple teamed almost every time, and he's putting up 30-plus points a game. I mean, there's a reason this guy's going to win the MVP. Um, and in my opinion, he's, he's, he's the MVP. Um, but it's just it's, – it, it's, it's insane how, you know, there's guys like Tobias Harris. And I, Tyrese Maxey played great in games one and game two. Um, I, I don't want to take that away from him, but it's one of those things like, you know James Harden is a top 75 player of all time. You need to be that type of dude when the playoffs start. And we have not seen that in a couple of years. And, yeah. and if Philadelphia wants to go and, you know, finish the process, as Joel Embiid always says, you've got to get that from him. Because they gave up Ben Simmons to get you in hopes that you were that missing piece to get them to the finals. Right. And now we're already here and talk about what James Harden's next destination will be. You know, I mean, like – yeah, something's got to click. Something's got to turn on for James Harden and get this team going. Uh, one more series to talk about: the uh, Bulls and Bucks series. Bulls pulled off a big win on Wednesday night, forty-one points from Demar Derozan in that victory. And you know, I, I said before the playoffs, the Bucks were my pick to come out of the Eastern Conference to win it all. I thought that they were still the the best team collectively, even though. They weren't the top seed going into it when it's all said and done. But I, I feel like the Bulls are going to push the Bucks the entire way. This is going to go six or seven games. I think the Bucks still win this series. Yeah. But I think they're certainly going to be tested. And, and it's unfortunate the, the Bulls are the, the seed that they are because they're, they're, they're better. Without Lonzo, too. But right. I mean, let's let's not forget, like, you know, shout out to Debo, by the way. 41 points, huge night fifth Bulls player in franchise history with 40 plus points in a playoff game. Um, you know, shout out to him. He, he, he was on one. They needed every bit of it. Um, you know, Zach Levine and Nikola Vucevic all played well together. Um, the, the, the Bucks are such a tough matchup and they're, they're a tough matchup for the Bulls. And I mean, obviously I'm a Bulls fan um, and I'm trying to be unbiased because I did pick the Bucks to win this series as well, but I do love that they beat the, the, the Bucks in Milwaukee um, that, you know, will make when they lose the series a little bit easier um, mm -hmm. because it's more so looking, looking for next year, but you know, without guys like Lonzo ball, like the thing that, 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 that the bulls are missing the most is that's the guy. And as good as Alex Caruso is, which the Lakers were stupid um, for letting him get away. I'm sorry. I, I don't like to use that word much on this podcast, but I, I mean, it just is what it is. You know, when, when Caruso got the offer from the bulls and he goes to the Lakers and says, can you do two for 16 and I'll stay when he, he was offered four for four, 40 from the Bulls and the Lakers said two for 14 is the highest will go like that was just dumb because you saw you could have used a guy like him this past year um but 
you know, you're missing Lonzo, who is not only a really good three point shooter, but he's an excellent. Def- he's, he's probably their best defender. Um, he's their He's he's a great rebounder. He's their best assist man. But he's the guy who sees the things that others don't because he's just that good of a passer. And that would help positively guys like Nikola Vucevic, Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan. And you wouldn't have to be so heavy dependent if you're the Bulls on DeMar DeRozan to close out the game and make all these shots and Zach Levine to just use his insane athleticism, even though it's obvious right now, Zach's not going to be 100% until next season until he gets that left knee soreness thing figured out on a surgically repaired knee that's been bothering him since before the All-Star break back in January. But I just felt like when you watch that game two of the, of the, of the Bucks and Bulls, didn't it seem like a little bit that Milwaukee was sleepwalking through it? Yes. That, I mean, like, you know, like they thought and we that saw that the way they started Milwaukee out last one, year in that series that against Brooklyn, that they did the same thing. Yeah. And, and, and exactly. And it's one of those things where it's like, okay, like it's the playoffs. Like you have seven opportunities to win four games, but if you don't come out and play your best or play close to your best, you're not going to, it's not just an automatic win. Like you're playing a team that literally now its sole purpose is to zone in and hone in on you, but not only for the Milwaukee Bucks, but the Chicago Bulls, you're playing a division team. You're playing a team that you've played four times already in the regular season that knows your sets before you know what you're going to call out. Right. On, on, on both sides, each team know that. And you have to be, it's just crazy because, you know, the going under screens and not putting a hand up. And, and, and if I'm the Bucks, like, I'd be pissed because you were giving DeMar DeRozan a lot of good looks on shots that you know he makes on a regular basis. Like, right. his nickname is not the mid-range assassin for, you know, any reason. He's right. phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right about that. Uh, the Bucks, uh, you know, you and I agree. We both still like to, them yeah. to win the series, but they're certainly being battle-tested. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, more to come here on the Jones Sport in uh, just a few moments. Going to be joined by Steve Weish of the NFL Network, talking all things NFL. We'll go around the league and also talk about the draft and the latest on Debo Samuel. Later on, we'll have Coach Bo's Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. The official studio soapbox NFL mock draft is on the Football Fix this week. And uh, later on, we'll uh, check in on the Big 12 football world as well as our Tom Fulry story of the week as well. All that more as we continue. Stay with us here on the Jones. Joining us now on the Jones Report this week from the NFL Network, it is NFL Network host, reporter, insider extraordinaire. Steve Weish is back on the program once again. Steve, always a pleasure catching up with you, my friend. What's going on? My guy, Tyler, good seeing you, man. You know, nothing going on in the NFL, just, you know, your typical boring offseason, you know, no big contracts, no dissatisfied people wanting to get traded, just smooth sailing as usual. Sure. <laughs> All peace and quiet, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, quite the contrary, <laughs> actually. Uh, one of the most eventful offseasons ever, and we haven't even got to the draft just yet. Uh, Steve, it, it feels like uh, many moons ago that we were talking about Aaron Rodgers and you know, the Tom Brady retirement, right. non-retirement. I mean, to think those became like minor stories. I mean, this has been crazy every single day. It's, it's been bananas. And, and, you know, look, you had, you know, the Aaron Rodgers situation, Tom Brady situation. We're like, well, you know, all of a sudden all these quarterbacks are getting traded. Russell Wilson getting traded. All of these players, you know, in their primes getting moved to Sean Watson signing this insane deal with the Browns that may have completely upset 
the salary structure because of the guarantees that they put on there. It's not everybody, especially that position, is going to be asking for guaranteed contracts all the way. And then the wide receivers get into the game. You know, we see the money Devontae Adams is getting, the money Tyreek Hill is getting. Now Debo Samuel wants to get paid like that. Stephon Diggs signs this huge deal. So um, it, it is an interesting, interesting offseason in terms of veteran player movement. Sure, we can say, hey, maybe that's because there's not a bunch of great quarterbacks in the draft. But I think it's a situation where people are like, man, the, the, the money's gotten so big. We've got to see if it's better to draft a player economically and get rid of a veteran who's going to want a big money, even though he's a star player. Um, it is it is absolute mayhem. Like you said, the busiest, craziest offseason I've had in my nearly 20 years of covering the NFL. And 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 people you talked to said the tube is out of the toothpaste. I mean, it's going to be like this now, like the NBA for the foreseeable future. Yeah, it's, it's nuts to say the least. Uh, Steve, who's the big winner of the offseason so far at this point who do you think's made the best move so far sean watson is the biggest winner um with everything that's being hung over his head you know to be able to get out to be able to call a shot and to get a a, a 230 million dollar guaranteed contract i mean come on i mean but we, we, can, we can say there's a lot of different winners, right? Because there's a lot of things on paper. But what's insane is as everyone kind of taking the Rams model now, let's trade for accomplished vets, pay them and try to go for it. There's only one team that's going to win the Super Bowl. And, you know, oftentimes it's not the team that makes the big splash or the team that's kind of got some things in place. But, you know, it's, you know, if, if you want to say organizationally, um, if there's a team that went, it, it, it's hard. You know, I, I like what the Raiders are doing. You know, they had pieces in place. They added Chandler Jones, you know, big free signing. They, you know, they made the big trade for Devontae Adams. They hired Josh McDaniels, who everyone thinks is going to do a good job there. Um, but, you know, look at the division. Still got to get through the Chiefs and Mahomes. I mean, everyone's just like, oh, my gosh, they lost Tyreek Hill. They're not going to be any good. Andy Reid um, will have that team in, in a fine place. You know, Denver, the AFC West is crazy. They get Russell Wilson. They, they've got, you know, they've got these good players, but they have a first-time head coach and a first-time defensive coordinator. Is that going to translate? So, you know, and you look at some of the moves, a team no one's not – it seems that people aren't talking about enough that I think has made just an absolute fantastic move is the Indianapolis Colts, right? You're getting Matt Ryan. You're probably only getting him for a year or two because of his age. But you get Unique Ngakwe in the trade from the Raiders, who's won the most elite pass rushers in the NFL. Yeah, you know, I think he averages nine, ten sacks a year, but the strip sacks and the force fumbles and the way he runs quarterbacks into his other teammates, him and DeForest Buckner are going to be problems on that D-line. You know, they add Stephon Gilmore to the secondary. I, I think the Colts are a dangerous football team that aren't getting talked about enough because it seems like, there's just this daily mushroom cloud of news coming from the NFL. Yeah, just just nuts, uh, Steve. Uh, you, there are some teams that have gotten worse at this point, in particular the, the Seattle Seahawks since the Russell Wilson move uh, certainly stand out, and Dallas Cowboys since the Amari Cooper deal and uh, you know have taken a step back of sorts. Some of those teams have taken a step back. Uh, do, you, do you think that we're, we're seeing – go into rebuild mode or or still kind of wait to see what they do in the, this uh, this draft coming up here? What do you make of these teams that 
that don't look as good as what they were just a couple months ago. Yeah, I mean, a team like Seattle losing Russell Wilson is huge just because that experience, he's a great player, he's a leader, and he covered up a lot of holes on that roster. I mean, you know, for years they played without a great offensive line, but they had him in a good running game and, and a strong defense to get through it. Well, when they started losing Earl Thomas and, and Richard Sherman and Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett, and now Bobby Wagner, that defense, it's not quite what it was. Now they've got some good players with their safeties, right? Jamal Adams and right. Quandre Diggs. Um, they've got great wide receivers in DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, but, They've got a lot of holes to fill, but in starting a quarterback in a division that is ruthless. So they, you know, they're not saying they're rebuilding and maybe they get in on Baker Mayfield. The stuff you hear is like, there's not a lot of talk about them really going after Baker Mayfield right now. And maybe they think they can win with Drew Locke. We'll see. I mean, I think this is the year where it's going to be very defining for Pete Carroll and John Schneider. Um, if they're going to continue to, to, to lead this football team. You, know, you look at the Dallas Cowboys, they trade away Amari Cooper. They lose Randy Gregory. That was a big blow. I mean, Randy Gregory really stepped up and did a lot of things in that defense that allowed them to do some of the things that they've done. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see with Dallas. You know, if they fix up things on their offensive line, I think Dan Quinn and their secondary coach, Joe Witt, can figure out, you know, I'm not as worried about Dallas. Um, you know, I do look at a team like Kansas City. We talk about Tyreek Hill being gone. You know, they lost a various ward, you know, cornerback, big physical player uh, who ended up, where do you have, I think with the Niners. Yep. Um, Tyron Matthews gone. Right. Yeah, Ty Matthews gone. I mean, they lost some leadership. They lost some gutsy players. They still have 15, though. But right now, it's some of the, some key spots. I, you know, I'm still waiting to see. But, yeah, I mean, none of these teams are going to say they're a rebuild. The Falcons aren't saying they're in a rebuild. And, man, they've got holes all across their roster. You know, what's going to happen in Carolina? You know, that team, they've got some players. They're probably better situated. Um, you know, what's going to happen with the Saints? You know, if Jameis has got to be on point because his team is ready to win now in terms of their defense getting Michael Thomas back. But it's it's the offseason, man. We always get fooled by the offseason. All these mm -hmm. teams making the moves. And it's usually, again, a team that makes a couple strategic additions that enhance the team overall, upgrade some of the players next to them on the line of scrimmage or wherever they may be playing, and have stable leadership that end up winning things in the end. Even though the Rams, you know, again, disrupted the whole thinking last year by trading for Matthew Stafford, you know, adding Von Miller and Odell Beckham in the middle of the season. But remember, they had some great players already in place to kind of help buffer and, and bring those guys into the mix. Yeah, I think the Rams are a reason why we see the least number of teams picking in the first round, that people saw what the Rams did and said, why not us? Why not? Why can't we win like the Rams did essentially is, uh, you know, when going into this draft, as far as I'm concerned. But uh, with, with all that being said, you, know, you mentioned Debo Samuel of you know, his prospects, him wanting out of San Francisco. What exactly is, is going on there? They're coming off an NFC championship Sounds like money isn't an issue. What uh, what, what what's the deal there with Debo and, and San Francisco? What's the rift there, Steve? <laughs> money always is an issue. Money <laughs> is money is one hell of a bandage. Um, you know, you're hearing you know a lot of people like Ian Rappaport, who I work with, are reporting that it's a usage issue, right? That Debo right. didn't like the fact that they they ran him a lot, that they used him at wide receiver, and and I get it. But what's the one thing you hear so much about? guys in the NFL, they're football players. 
Don't call me an edge rusher. Don't call me a slot defender. I'm a football player. Debo Samuel is a football player. That is his strength. No matter if he stays with the Niners or where he goes to, people are going to maximize his value as a wide receiver who can catch and run, who can hit the deep play, but who's also a running threat with the jet sweeps, things like that. Cooper Cup, even though he doesn't line up a tailback, he gets a lot of handoffs. He does a lot of nitty-gritty blocking against outside linebackers and stuff, right? So for everything I'm hearing about, you know, it's the carries and the overusage, not buying that fully. That might be a part of it. But there's got to be something a little bit deeper seated in that to say, I just want out. You know, it, to me, he could have gone to Kyle Shanahan or to, you know, whomever is with that team and said, hey, look, is there any way, you know, I'm a little, you know, my body's taking a beating. I want to play until I'm in my early to mid-30s. Can we figure some things out here? You know, there's always ways to strategize. The game evolves every two or three years. Maybe the Niners add some players because, look, Debo Samuel was put in that position because they had a bunch of running backs get hurt. So I think there's something else going on there, whether it's personal, whether it's just something organizationally, you know, whether he wants to stay back in the South, or whatever. I, I just don't know where he's from. I don't know. But it seems that, like there's got to be something a little bit more than just his usage and, and, and workflow at this and again it could be the money because that wide receiver salary market has exploded yeah and with that being said as some of the possible options uh what do you think Debo ends up when this is all said and done what's some good fits potentially you think for Debo so I mean let's say the Niners opt to trade him which I'm not sure they're going to be too keen to do but they may say look we got to pay Nick Bosa so to have that big salary on the contract you know they can do it. Remember, Jimmy G's going to be traded and they're going to have a rookie quarterback on a rookie contract. But the New York Jets, the first team that comes to mind. I mean, there's the need. There's the familiar, familiarity. Robert Sala was a D.C. when Debo was there. And also Michael LaFleur was an assistant coach. He was, he was an offensive coach on that staff and knows Debo well. They run a very similar scheme. And the Jets were right there with the Dolphins for Tyreek Hill. Even though Tyreek said the Dolphins all along, the Jets were right there. The Dolphins added a sweetener. Tyreek went down to Miami. So I think the Jets are a team that, you know, would probably make the strongest play. And they've got the assets to make the, the 49ers think about, okay, you know, we'll, we don't have a first-round pick. If we can get a first-round pick and take one of these stud wide receivers, then, then maybe we would do something like this. Um, you know, you look at – I mean, you could name – you could put him with so many teams. You could put him at the Ravens where he would just be spectacular. Mm-hmm. I mean, him and Lamar Jackson with the dual threat uh, issues they have, you know, catch and run option, you know, be, being the pitch man on the option, just so many different things that they could, that would be an incredible fit for what they do offensively. And I, and I think the Colts, I think the Colts, he wouldn't be asked to play running back as much, but he would give them the threat, the jet sweep threat, playing in a dome, um, big play threat, Matt Ryan, great play action guy. Look at what he did with Cordero Patterson last year. Cordell Patterson and Debo Samuel, very similar in what their strengths are offensively and what they can do in a multi-purpose role. So those are just three teams, but there's 25 to 28 to 31 other teams that would be better with Debo Samuel on their roster. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, uh, for sure. Steve Weiss joining us here on the Jonesport this week. Steve, a couple quarterback options still available in the trade market with Baker Mayfield and Jimmy Garoppolo at this point in time, both those guys coming off surgeries in the offseason as well. What 
is the situation for both these guys. It seems seems like that their trade value has gone down a lot from where it was even just a month ago. I don't know if it's gone down a lot. Um, you know, Jimmy, because he had the, the unexpected surgery on his throwing shoulder, he's going to be a post. He's likely going to be a post draft trade, right? Where teams going to be giving up a 2023 asset for Jimmy Garoppolo. And the thing is not where, where are starting situations for him, right? That would be tough for Jimmy. The guy's a starting player in the NFL. I mean, you look at Carolina, are they going to wait? You know, they've been so thirsty for a quarterback. I mean, they've been in on Deshaun Watson and other guys since last year. Um, and I think they're the team that's probably going to be most involved in the Baker Mayfield sweepstakes. I think Baker could get traded. Um, we'll know what's going to happen with the Panthers quarterback-wise on what they do with that sixth overall pick, right? If they don't take a quarterback, they're in the trade market. They're probably going to pull a trigger for Baker during the draft. Maybe they give up a third or fourth round pick, add Baker. They're not going to have to pay a high, you know, price for Baker. And Cleveland's probably going to have to pay some of that $18 million salary. That's, that's the big thing. As soon as Cleveland says, hey, we'll pay 10 or 10 or $11 million at $18 million, Baker's trade market will heat up. The thing is, again, there's not many teams. Does Seattle want to get involved with Baker? Does Seattle want to get involved with Jimmy? Can't see the 49ers trading Jimmy G to Seattle. Um, you know, so, again, it, there's just not many teams. Maybe Detroit um, would get in on one of those guys. Again, they're, they're paying Jared Goff a bunch of money, though. So that's that's where it's just real peculiar on where potential starting opportunities could be for a quarterback. So that's where these guys are really, really in tough situations. Maybe the Texans get in on Jimmy G, right? Nick Casario was in New England when Jimmy G played for the Patriots. That could be a sleeper team I would look out for in a Garoppolo trade later in the season. I know they like Davis Mills. But having Jimmy Garoppolo there, I think, could help them a little bit. So some odd scenarios going on. And, you know, there's always, there's the Kyler Murray issue out there, too. You know, Kyler Murray, he's not happy, but I don't think he gets out of Arizona. I think they'll eventually come to a contract there. That team has just invested too much in him and Cliff Kingsbury being together um, for them to, to try to separate them at this point. Yeah, there's still Jordan Love, too. Uh, and all this, so yeah, the, the quarterback market far yeah, from over. Don't don't see him. Don't see him get moved right now. Okay, so uh, there you have it. Uh, free agents wise, uh, Tyron Matthew still available. Jarvis Landry, right? Uh, some really talented players still looking for homes right now, Steve. Yeah, look, Ty Matthew, someone who's probably going to end up doing what he did a couple of years ago when he went to Houston, signing a short-term deal, waiting waiting for the best situation to play out. He'll be a post-draft possibility because there's some good safeties. Um, but, you know, teams – you know, everyone knows what Ty Matthew brings. Again, Ravens just – it just screams. Even though they signed Marcus Williams, and he's a hell of a free safety, um, having the versatility of someone like him and Ty Matthew after all the injuries they had last year, it just screams for Ty Matthew to Baltimore. Um, you know, we talk about Jarvis Landry. He's coming off some health issues. He was with the Saints um, visiting them today, um, which is, you know, Wednesday. If Jarvis were to end up with Saints with Michael Thomas, it, it could be a really, really nice pickup for Jameis because we know the competitors – that Michael Thomas coming off that ankle injury and Jarvis Landry. I mean, these dudes are, are the highest level of competitors. With Jameis coming off the knee, that would be just such a huge help. You know, it would allow them to really get into the offensive line 
that they have to address in the draft, you know, after losing Tron Armstead. Um, but both those players, Tron Matthew, Jarvis Landry, you know, as long as they're healthy, they're going to help wherever they go. Yeah, yeah, no, I think you're right about that. Uh, let's uh, move on and talk about the uh, draft now. Steve, uh, a very defensive-heavy draft in 2022. What do you like about this draft class coming in? Yeah, look, I mean, you've got edge players. Those are hard to get. And having an abundance of these at the top of the draft is going to be enticing, especially because teams need them. I mean, the Jags need them. The Lions, oh, my gosh, they're, they're, it, it, it screams for them. Um, the Falcons need it. The Jets need it. The Giants need it. So this is a position. It is a premium salaried position, too. So if you can get an edge rusher on a five-year rookie contract and not have to pay them these contracts that are paying $25 million a year to the veterans, that that's huge. So I love that some of the DBs, you know, we've got some corners like Sauce Gardner. Um, you've got Stingley from LSU. You've got Hamilton, the safety out of Notre Dame, those are guys that can come in and really help out some of these defenses in the top half of the draft right away. And then the wide receivers. I mean, that's what's intriguing. But who is going to make the move from one of these quarterbacks? Will it be Carolina at six? Um, I think it very much it could be. Um, but which one will it be? Kenny Pickett or Malik Willis? Do the Falcons at eight make their move for a quarterback now after they just signed Marcus Mariota uh, for a couple of years? It'll be interesting to see. I think they're going to go in a different direction and try to build their roster out a little bit more in the Steelers. We know they want a quarterback. They want a quarterback. I can tell you that definitively. They want a quarterback. Will it be a first-round guy? Will it be Kenny Pickett, who they know very well in the University of Pittsburgh? If so, they're probably going to have to move up from 20 to do it. Probably going to have to move up from 20 to get Malik Willis as well. So will the Steelers be a player on the trade market to go up and get that quarterback? I mean, that's, that's the domino. Everyone's trying to figure out other than which one of these edge rushers is going to go first, second, third, you know, and which order they're going to go in. It's going to be Trayvon Walker out of Georgia. It'll be Aiden Hutchinson. You know, who, who likes them? Where does Kayvon Thibodeau end up going? Right. Jermaine Jones out of Florida state in which order will they go? But I would expect all of them to be gone probably before you get out of the top 10. We see teams with multiple first round picks like Kansas city, the jets, the giants, uh, just to the name Eagles, you, Saints, the Eagles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, tell me about, about about those teams that have multiple picks to work with here. Uh, what's the expectation for these guys? Do you think we could see them even make more movement for whether it's moving up or moving out with, with these picks? That does, how much flexibility does this provide them having these multiple picks in the first round? I, I think some of those teams would, would like to move back, but I think I don't think any of them are going to move up. I mean, I think where the Jets are slotted, they're going to be able to, to address major needs – with those picks, same with the Giants, right? They're both they're both in the top ten with those those picks. If they can get out, maybe it depends on who's coming up and if they can still get a targeted player. But I think the, those guys are, are going to be safe. And frankly, a team like the Saints, who are they sixteen and nineteen? I don't think they're going to try to move up. They may try to get out, move back a little bit. Um, but I think that's where they're going to say the Eagles, Howie Roseman, ain't no way he's sitting still. That dude's got the itchiest trader finger, not trigger finger, but trader finger among NFL GMs. So I think the Eagles will, will be a team that'll be in play in the trade scenarios. Yeah, uh, I think you're right. And I'm watching for Kansas City. I think that they're going to make a move probably for, for one of those receivers, maybe uh, Jamison Williams in particular in Alabama there. Yeah, yeah, could, could very well be. Also look out for Detroit at 32. 
I think they're a team again that could be in this this quarterback market. And they may come up, you know, if they like a Matt Corral or if Malik Willis starts to slip, maybe they jump up and get him because they got Jared Goff for one more year. Um, they like Goff. We keep on hearing that you know these are developmental quarterbacks, but they know they could do better. And so if they think one of these guys could develop for a year and get better and be their guy next year and have them on a rookie contract, I look for Detroit to potentially be a player with that 32 pick to move up as well. Yeah. Uh, when you move on past uh, day one, those day two and day three guys, Steve, uh, it seems like that there's, there's a lot of depth in particular defense. It carries over some good value finds there. Well, offense too. And, and this is where when you talk to general, man- general managers and personnel execs across the league, they're thrilled at the middle rounds. And like you said, look at how many teams don't have first round picks. Right. So now, you know, teams like the Bears, right? Teams, team, teams like the Rams, who don't even pick until the third round. You know, the Panthers have a first round pick and they don't pick until the third round. There's going to be a ton of really good players there, in part because you had a lot of guys who didn't get to play a full season during COVID who took that extra year of eligibility to get bigger, stronger, to enhance their game, to maybe switch positions. So they said there's a lot of talent right there in the third, fourth, fifth round area a lot of back-end talent I mean you're going to see some undrafted free agents who are really good players who could be drafted in a normal year so a lot of these teams are really excited on what they're going to be able to do again the back end of day two front end of day three because of some of the talent that's going to be there at running back right at players like that at interior offensive line guys who can really come in and help some of these d tackles are going to get pushed into the second and third round so again a lot of need areas for some teams a lot of depth area for some teams. They're going to find some key special teamers who can also be substitute outside linebackers. Some of these uh, safeties who are like the slot safety can cover the tight end. They are going to be there after the first round. And again, that's more the bigger conversation as I'm hearing as I'm leading up to the draft. You know, Steve, one of the things I've always believed is the tape don't lie. And Yes, there are a, a number of smaller college players, mm-hmm. whether it's outside the Power Five or even some good FCS players like Trevor Penning at Northern Iowa, Christian right. Watson at North Dakota State. I mean, it, it, it's, it's something to watch for. I, I would say, Steve, don't be don't read too much into where these guys, where their schools are. I mean, if you can play, you can play. I mean, there's some good talent all around the country that – uh, that scouts really took notice on that weren't necessarily at the power programs in this draft. Well, 100%. And, you know, one, the transfer portal is a big reason of that, right? You know, a big reason for that. But, you know, some guys, again, who took that extra year to get seen, you know, who, you know, there's there's a DB at South Carolina State, Kobe Durant, you know, a little smaller guy, but one of the tougher dudes um, coming out. He's probably going to be a fifth, sixth, maybe seventh round guy. I don't think he slips that far, but he was the MEAC you know, defensive player of the year at a corner and every team's like, he's slight, but man, what he can do. And, you know, we can get him in an NFL weight room and strengthen him. And he comes from a program, you know, let's develop Javon Hargrave. Let's develop Darius Leonard. So again, it's, it's not going to matter. This isn't going to be necessarily a big, you know, you're hearing about some of these players, you know, coming from Nevada, you know, and, and coming from some of these schools like that, that are really going to be impactful type of players, you know, Wyoming, that, that, again, that are going to drop. So it is not going to be – you know, Georgia's going to have basically their whole defense going the first two rounds. Right. But 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 other than that, I mean, like you know, I love your point. There's going to be a lot of smaller school guys, you know, Western Michigan, places like that, that are going to have some players get drafted this year. 
Yeah, you mentioned the edge rushers earlier, and it just blows my mind. Take a guy like Jermaine Johnson, who you know will probably be you know at the end of the top ten picks on any other year, probably is the first edge rusher taken off the board, and he might be the fourth or fifth edge rusher. That's how yeah. deep it is with these edge guys. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's just how it falls. Like for the next three or four drafts, there might not be one or two. Right. You know, it's and it's and it's it's just. And, and what's kind of the lack of depth position in the draft this year? Offensive tackle, right? So the guys who block these edge rushers are still in school probably, right? They've got another year to develop. So those are probably be the guys who are going to hit next year as well, some of the quarterbacks that are coming out. So, you know, we see these ebbs and flows, and, and, and it's, just, it's just how it is. You know, every year, some years you're going to have running backs who teams deem are first-round worthy. And that's just not the case this year, not because they're not first round worthy, but because all of these edge rushers, right? Some of these corners and all these wide receivers are going to push these guys back. And again, especially because there's not going to be a ton of quarterbacks who are going to come in and contribute right away. Uh, in the in the short term, looking ahead to this season and with this draft coming up, who has the most to gain as far as getting themselves better immediately to, to contend this upcoming season? Who has what? team has the most to gain from this draft right away you think well i mean i, I think the saints if they find a, a tackle and a wide receiver now they may not necessarily need to do that with their two first round picks but i think if they they hit those positions they're they're pretty solid on defense right they've got the skilled players with michael thomas coming back and again we'll see if they add jarvis landry but they add another wide receiver that helps with the structure that they have in place um you know we see a lot we saw a lot of teams make the moves in free agency, but Arizona is a team. I think that's really got to hit, um, you know, Kyler Murray's coming along. They, you know, they lost Chandler Jones. You know, they've got it to me. That might be another team to watch to come up and get one of these edge guys. You know, they've got to replace that in, in the division that they're playing. So some teams that can help themselves, you know, in the draft to, to maybe get up and be, you know, be competitive Minnesota Vikings. Right. This is a team that I think we're not talking about enough. We'll see if Kevin O'Connell, a new offensive minded head coach from the McVay tree, um, can come in and find some additional players to kind of solidify that defense a little bit, fortify the offensive line a little bit. But teams that have done some of the stuff in free agency, but not the big splash in free agency. I, I think, again, those are the teams I'm keeping my eye on. You know, we're expecting big things for the Chargers and the Broncos and and teams like that, the Buccaneers and, and the Rams. But, you know, some of these other teams that could just fill with some nice, solid players in a draft could be the team that upsets the apple cart by kind of playing it the way of, of drafting and developing. Yeah. Uh, Steve, last thing we'll end on this. Uh, you were telling me before we started, uh, your son about to work for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, yeah. something that I know has meant a lot to you, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. You've always oh, had a great relationship. This has got to hit home for you, I imagine. Really does. I mean, you see all those those footballs behind me. Those are from the <laughs> Pro Football of Fame. Um, yeah, I mean, just real proud of him. It's just something he took an interest in. He interned there before, did really well, and, and he's, he's got a great opportunity to go learn from some of the best people in the business and, and be surrounded every day of, of walking into the hallowed halls of, of football heaven. I mean, for those who've never been and football fans, that is a bucket list. It is breathtaking. Um to go into that museum, to be in that environment, whether it's the big Hall of Fame induction weekend or not. And so just kind of walk in those hallways will we'll bring out the best in you because, you know, you've got 351 busts who breathe some rare air 
Um, so again, you've got to be able to match that quality of oxygen if you want to, you know, succeed in that world. Oh, that's so cool. And, uh, I'll, I'll bring this up too. Uh, you know, one, one of the things for you, I know that you've always been big on promoting the HBCUs and got to call their, uh, their, their bowl game, the HBCU, uh, collegiate bowl. The legacy weeks, bowl. Yeah. Yes. That a, a few weeks back, who are some guys that maybe we should watch for, uh, in the coming days to end up with some of these teams here, Steve. Yeah, you heard me mention Jacoby Durant, the cornerback out of South Carolina State. Marquise yeah. Bell, a safety out of Florida A&M. Jatire Carter, a guard out of uh, Southern University. And I'm blanking right now, but there's a cornerback out of Fayetteville State. Big, long corner. Those guys are all going to get drafted, right? Also look for Aquil Glass, the two-time Black College Player of the Year. He's a quarterback out of Alabama A&M. Um, Justin Houston, an outside linebacker. From Jackson State, played for Dion, absolutely disruptive player. Expect him to get drafted. So, you know, I, I would expect seven or eight players from the HBCUs to get drafted, and another eight or nine more to end up um, getting getting tryouts or getting in free agent signings to be in camps. A defensive end out of Norfolk State named Deshaun Dixon. He's a monster. He'll probably get drafted. So, after two years of only having one player from historically black colleges get drafted. I think this is a year where the trend, that, that trend snaps and it snaps in a pretty big way. That's really cool to see. Uh, certainly excited. I know that's meant a lot to you and you guys done a really good job bringing attention to that. And now we're seeing uh, the fruits of the labor start to pay off a little bit here. So very cool stuff, Steve, uh, where can people find you and all the great stuff you're doing with the NFL network, man? Well, you know, you can watch on NFL network, NFL.com, Twitter, and Instagram at white W Y C H E 89. Steve, appreciate the time as always. We'll talk again down the line. Appreciate you joining us, man. Always, Tyler. Take care. Time for Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. You can find O'Connor Advisory Group online, oagks.com, o'connoradvisorygroup.com. And also, you can reach out to Bo by phone at 785-856-0720. That's 856-0720. To schedule an appointment today. He is also by email, brian.oconnor at lpl.com. It's brian with a y.oconnor at lpl.com. And you can check out the Coach Bo Knows podcast out each and every Monday and Friday on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. Coach Bo joins us right now. On the Football Fix this week, we will have a mock draft in just a few moments. And I'm also going to get Bo's thoughts on Debo Samuel and the USFL. But Bo, first off, thanks for joining us, man. What's going on in OAG this week? Hey, we just came out of tax time. So Monday was the tax deadline. So last few folks we got on that. Um, what we are looking to do going moving forward here next few weeks, kind of a thing we're going to be pressing on is a couple of different things. Right now is the best time. If you're looking, if you've got life insurance and you're thinking, well, am I paying too much? Do I have a good policy? We can do free reviews on life insurance. Or if you don't have life insurance, we'd love to chat with you about that. We work with 75 different carriers, all sorts of stuff we can do from, you know, quarter million dollars to 300, three or four million dollars in term, all the way down to 25,000 in whole life. We can get you squared away. Whatever your needs are, we can help you. I'd love to work with you one-on-one with that. So go to OAGKS.com, hit the contact us button here, tell me what you need help with, and you can get to Google's directly to me. So I'll be happy to help. Awesome. And uh, we're doing a, a mock draft today on the show. And what we'll do to explain this to the folks at home, 
I will be picking the odd-numbered teams. Bo will be picking the even-numbered teams uh, throughout this draft. And we're just doing the first round, all 32 picks. And uh, we'll go through these one by one, try to go as fast as we can through these picks through the first round. And, Bo, let's kind of set the scene before we get started with this my draft here. We're talking about a very unusual draft as – this is a draft in the first round that involves the least amount of teams we've seen in quite some time. A defensive heavy draft, in particular the edge rusher positions, and one of the worst quarterback classes we've seen in quite some time, too. What are your takeaways heading into this draft next week? Uh, a couple of things. One, there, this thing is loaded with edge rushers. There's going to be, I think, three of the top five picks are going to be edge rushers. There's a couple of difference makers on the defensive side of the ball, a couple of the corners. We're going to get into those. There's one safety that will go in the first round who's incredible. Um, and then there is going to be a load of wide receivers in this first round. I count as many as eight could go in the first round this year. Um, I think it's probably going to settle at seven, but I could see eight going in the first round. Uh, as far as quarterbacks, what makes the draft so sexy is, and people love it, is the quarterback piece every year. This quarterback class is the worst that I can remember in quite a while. To give you an idea and a sense, every quarterback drafted in the first round last year would be the number one quarterback on the draft board this year. Um, who was the last quarterback taken in the first round last year, Tyler? Um, was there one taken like Mac Jones I'm not thinking of? I think Mac was the last one. Okay. Um, who was taking the second round last year? Um, your there's, second. there's someone I'm not thinking of, and I can't think off the top of my head. But Davis Mills? Davis Mills is the one I'm thinking of. Davis Mills would be the first quarterback taken in this draft if he was available. To give you an idea how poor the quarterbacks are in this draft. Which and also I, makes sense why we hear the Texans are not interested in drafting a quarterback right now. No, there's not a single franchise quarterback in this draft there are two quarterbacks that could be taken on day two or three that given an opportunity given a year to sit on the bench could become something everybody that i've seen it could be taken in the first or second round i don't think it's gonna be worth a damn in this draft i just i wouldn't take any of them and i'm a fan of a team that needs a quarterback and i would not draft one in this draft okay but so, someone's going to overreach, and we're going to see two, maybe three on day one, and they're all going to be bad picks when it's all said and done. Well, and and the reason why we've documented it on this show over the years is the rookie wage scale exactly. is so low, comparably speaking, to the other positions within the draft, uh, within you know the, what the veterans are making that these teams are willing to, to take on these rookie contracts because it's not going to cost them a whole lot as opposed to what they would be paying for a veteran at that position. So yeah. uh, I, let's we'll go ahead. I was thinking, I was looking, I had a quick list. I was going to hit this real quick for the quarterback to give you an idea. I count 10 teams that currently, and really four of them are kind of questionable, but I count at least six teams that could draft a quarterback. Those six teams – Pittsburgh, Seattle, New Orleans, Atlanta, Carolina, Houston. I would then include Washington, both the New York teams, and Tampa also looking in the future for quarterbacks. 
Here's what I predict will happen. At least one of those 10 teams will make a trade in this draft to get an early first-round pick in the 2023 draft to look at the two top quarterbacks of that draft because we know there are two very good quarterbacks who are NFL-ready right now in next year's draft and possibly a third. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, we'll go ahead and uh, get started with our official Studio Soapbox mock draft, all 32 picks, no trades in this format. We're going to try to keep this simple and uh, go through these as quickly as we can. So let's go ahead and get started with the first pick in the official Studio Soapbox mock draft, GM Tyler Jones of the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are on the clock with the number one pick for the second straight year, Going defense, Aiden Hutchinson, first off the board. For me, Bo, this is an easy pick. Aiden Hutchinson is going to be a hell of a player of the National Football League. And this, this for me, is a home run for the Jags here if they get Hutchinson at one. I think he's a great pick. I think he's going to be a great player. Um, it's, it's nitpicking to say that he wouldn't be number one to me, but he'd be in the top three. So I think that the top three DNs, they're all kind of interchangeable. I like one of them better, but I think Aiden Hudson's going to be a great player in the NFL. The Jaguars are going to get a hell of a player if that's their pick. All right. Second pick, Detroit. Bo, you're on the clock. All right. So I think that Detroit's going to go to one of these other ends as well, um, unless they trade down. But I do think Detroit's going to go with an end. I think they're going to go uh, Kayvon Thibodeau. Defensive end from Oregon. He's the player that I have as the number one player on the board in the entire draft. I really like Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, I don't care about his ego, his attitude, like some people nope. were talking about. You know, there's been discussions about him potentially slipping on draft boards because of it. I heard Brock Heward say that he takes plays off. Bo, I'm not worried about that. This is the NFL. You got to have an attitude, you got to have a little been in you of some sorts to me i'm not concerned with that at all he's a very I, smart guy terrific football player maybe yeah. he he gets a little wake-up call in the national football league you know a, a little reality check but i think that's going to be enough i have no issues with that. Yeah, if he's sitting there too dan campbell's going to love him and he's going to love playing for dan Campbell. yeah uh third pick uh houston texans on the clock a lot of needs for the texans i think though bo this is three straight rushers with the first three picks, three straight edges, Trayvon Walker goes to the Houston Texans at three. What do you think of that pick? I I think you're spot on. I think that those three guys are the best three players in this draft. I, the edge rushers are – if they don't go one, two, three, they're going to go in the top five. And I think the Texans have a lot of things they could do. I think that's a good pick for them. All right. So now the New York Jets on the clock. Two picks in the top ten for the Jets. Bo, what do they do at four? Okay, I think that the Jets are going to be making phone calls and they're going to be fielding phone calls. But I think what they're going to end up doing is I think they're going to go with either one of the two corners, who I like both of them here, or I think they go with a big old tackle. I'm going to take have them taking Ahmad Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati. Ooh, I like Sauce. I do too. I think Sauce is great. I think he's the second best corner. I think he's going to be who the Jets will take though. I think he's the best corner in this draft. He reminds me of Richard Sherman, and I don't say that lightly, Bo. 
No, he's 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 the best cover corner in this draft. Period. All right. So we have uh, four straight defensive players in the first four picks, par for the course in a defensive heavy draft at this point. Five, the New York Giants on the clock. They have two picks in the top seven. They'll pick again at number seven. And with this pick, uh, for me, this one, I, I go with based on the feeling. And the consensus has been that the Giants really like Akeem Aquano, the offensive tackle from North Carolina State. Personally, I like Evan Neal better. I think Evan Neal is the best offensive tackle in this draft, but we're predicting what's going to happen here. I think they lean towards their consensus is closer to Akim. Um, nothing against Akim, but I'm just in love with the way that Evan Neal just buries guys alive in his body frame. I like Neal more, but I think they go Akim here at five, Bo. Okay, I agree. I think they will go that way. Um, I, too, like Evan Neal better. If I was going to take one or the other, I, too, would take Evan Neal. But uh, I think the Giants are going – everything I'm seeing is they're going to go for Iguano, and 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 he's been a great player for NC State. And I think he's going to be a, fi- a fine player in the NFL, a, a 10-year starter at left tackle for the Jets. Yeah. Uh, number six, Carolina on the clock, Bo. What are you going to do here for the Panthers? Okay. They're in the quarterback market. Okay, Jonesy, my question, am I predicting what I think the Panthers are going to do, or is this what Coach Bo would do? (laughs) I have a feeling it's the latter. Okay, what do you want me to do here? Because I'll tell you what the Panthers are going to do, and then I'll tell you what I think they shouldn't do. They're the same thing. Okay, tell me. I think the Panthers are going to take Malik Willis from Liberty here at number six. I think it's a huge mistake. It's a huge overreach. I think instead they should look at Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame or Derek Stanley from LSU. Um, and I'm not saying because I'm an LSU guy. Um, I'm just, I think the Panthers are going to make a huge mistake. They need a quarterback. I think they're going to go with Malik Willis. They're looking at Malik Willis like he's Cam Newton. Okay. And I think that the Panthers are going to choose Malik Willis. So we're, what I think is a huge, huge overreach. Okay, so Malik Willis is the pick here, but not an advised pick here. No. If it was my pick, I would take Derek Stingley from LSU. Um, Willis is a project. I think he's got potential, but I think Pickett's better uh, personally if you made me choose between the two right now. I would – if the one that's more ready right now is definitely Kenny Pickett. Yeah. Seven, the New York Giants on the clock again, Bo. Uh, I get to make another pick here for the Giants. And uh, for me, at at this pick for New York, uh, this one, um, you already have your offensive tackle at this spot. Uh, I I think they go defense this time. I got them going with uh, Jordan Davis out of Georgia with that number seven pick, the defensive tackle. Okay. I like Jordan Davis. Um, He's more of an interior guy. I think if they go D-line, I could see them going Jermaine Johnson. Um, but I could see – I mean, those first three edge guys are gone. If they're going to go D-line at the need, I wouldn't be surprised there to see a wide receiver chosen as well. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Um, Atlanta on the clock. Who are you going with, Bo? Well, Atlanta's not dumb. They're in a division where they've got a lot of good receivers. And if Derek Stingley's sitting there at Atlanta for eight – they're going to take Derek Stanley from LSU. 
Okay. So you got Derek Stingley there at eight. Um, for me, Bo, I, I wouldn't use the top 10 pick on Derek Stanley. Not anything to do with his talent, but I'm very concerned about his injury issues for a very young player at this point in his career. Yeah. Well, he's shown that he's healthy right now when he's he had a great senior uh, a great um, pro day. Everybody has a good pro day, but he had an exceptionally good pro day. Um, if he is the Derek Stingley we saw his first two years at LSU, he is going to be phenomenal. Uh, he's, you know, Atlanta seems like a good, a good, a good fit for him. I, that's another place where I can see a receiver as well. So we haven't got into the receivers. They're coming now. But um, I think he's too talented a player to be sitting there right there and not be taken. Now the uh, Seattle Seahawks on the clock at nine. Bo, um, the, the Seahawks certainly need help. I don't know who their quarterback's going to be but they have to have somebody to protect them. And Evan Neal, who you and I think is the best offensive tackle in this draft, still on the board here. Easy call for me. I got to go with Evan Neal for the Seahawks at nine. And I think if you're a Seahawk fan, you would be thrilled if uh, you get Evan Neal with that pick there. Yeah, Evan Neal's number three on my big board. I mean, I've, I got it as um, – oh, I had uh, Thibodeau, then I had Stingley, and then Evan Neal. I think Evan Neal's going to be – I mean, it's hard to call somebody a Hall of Famer, but he's a 10-year starter left tackle. He's great, and I think it's he's not getting past that. All right, before we get to the Jets pick, let's kind of go over who's on the board right now, mm -hmm. still available with uh, nine picks in. Kyle Hamilton, Charles Cross, Garrett Wilson, Jermaine Johnson, Jamison Williams, uh, George uh, Karakafis from Purdue, Trevor Penning, Kenny Pickett, Still on the board, Matt Corral, Zion Johnson, Chris Olave, Devin Lloyd, Andrew Booth Jr., Daxton Hill, Drake London, just to name a few, with the Jets making their second pick at 10. Bo, who do you got? Okay. I have the Jets going with the receiver. They're going to take the best receiver available. Um, it's going to be a toss-up between two guys here. Um, three weeks ago, I would have said it was Drake London. I think it's going to be Garrett Wilson, who will be the first receiver taken off the board. And if he's sitting there for the Jets, I think that they take Garrett Wilson, Ohio State. Yeah, Garrett Wilson, very good player. Um, he, he was fantastic at Ohio State. Jets have to have a receiver. And I would say, Bo, with them drafting receiver in the top 10, that doesn't rule out for me the chance of them still making a move on the wide receiver market, whether it's Debo Samuel or another yeah. guy here. We could be talking about them bringing in two receivers. I don't think yeah, that's out I of the possibility. The Jets are going to be busy. If there is a deal to be had for Debo Samuel or for DK Metcalf, the Jets are going to be the one who can make the big trade because of the fact they have two top 10 picks. Yeah. Uh, Washington now on the clock at 11 at this point. Bo, um, for me, this one, I got to go with uh, – I'm going to go with Kyle Hamilton for Washington here. Top five player potentially in this draft, but safety is not one of the bigger priorities for most teams in the league here. This would be a steal, I think, for Washington, a team that already has some good defensive talent to only add to what Ron Rivera wants to do. I think Ron Rivera would love having Kyle Hamilton in, in D.C. Yeah, Kyle Hamilton is exactly who I think in this situation Washington would take for every reason you just spoke of. Uh, 12, the Vikings on the clock. Bo, who are you going with here? Well, I think the Vikings really want Derek, Derek Stingley to fall to them, either him or Gardner. Uh, we've got both of them protected to go to the top 10. 
If either of them are available at 12, the Vikings will pull the trigger. If not, I got him going to the next available, which is Trent McDuffie, the quarterback from Washington. It's too big a need, and there's talent there. I think that they get that done. They go get one of the corners. If they can't have one of the top two, I think McDuffie's the third one. I think he's who they pick. Texans at 13, another pick for them after having the number three pick and taking Trayvon Walker, the edge rusher out of Georgia. This time, Bo, I think that they try to get help on that pitiful offensive line. Charles Cross, a very good offensive tackle still on the board. I think he falls to Houston there at 13, and they'll be pretty pleased. Uh, This guy's got a lot of size and certainly held his own in the SEC. Yeah, I agree. They're going to. De- I think they're definitely going to go offensive line. The, te- the Texans need all the help they can get. This draft, this first round is deep at offensive tackle. If you can get one, go ahead and get it. There's just not enough skill position players that are going to fit the needs the Texans have. I think you go get the tackle here. I think you're right. All right. The Ravens now on the clock at 14, Bo. Okay. Here's where I think we're going to see the run of wide receivers start. Um, with the Ravens, I like the Ravens taking Drake London from USC. You just okay. get him a receiver and get them someone behind Hollywood Brown, a, a guy who can be a one. Uh, Drake London, to me, I've seen him play a few times, watched him in person this past year. I'll tell you who he reminds me of. I can't say he's going to be this great a player. He reminds me of Marvin Harris. He's a guy you line up in the same spot every single down, and you just let him run routes. You let him run routes, he has a way of getting open. I saw him play against Notre Dame's uh, defensive backs this year. Notre Dame had a really great class of DBs. I saw him have 15 catches in that game for like 185, and he was open all the time. I don't know how he does it. He lines up in the same place every single time, and he reminds me of Marvin Harrison in that way. Solid, solid, solid guy, and I think he's a great fit for the Ravens where you've got the deep threat of Hollywood Brown. Give him somebody who could run some routes. All right. Uh, so Drake London to the Ravens at 14. 15, the Eagles on the clock with their first of two picks in the first top 18. And, Bo, for me, I, I look at this uh, with, with the Eagles here. They need a wide receiver. Jalen Rager is not that guy. They are not getting what they paid for a couple of years ago with that first round pick and Rager and their fan base is still crushing them for passing on Justin Jefferson when they could have had him instead. Um, Devonta Smith was really good last year, but they need another receiver for Jalen Hurts there. Uh, I think that they go with uh, Chris Olave out of Ohio State with this pick at a 15 here, Bo. Okay. Yeah, I see it. I mean, I, I think we're in that run of the, of the wide receivers and the wide receivers need. I can see the Eagles, if they depend on who they like better, um, I do think Olave's great, going to be a fine receiver. If they don't take him, the Eagles could be the team that takes Jamison Williams, knowing that he's not going to play probably the first half of the season. They have time. You know, they're a team that may not be contending early. They may think, okay, this is the guy we can put in our back pocket. And we'll understand what we what the needs are. Um, I can see that I totally can see the Eagles going that way as well. But I do think they're going wide receiver. All right, you get to pick your team, the Saints yeah. at sixteen, Bo. Okay, so if the Eagles don't take Jamison Williams at fifteen, the Saints are going to take him at sixteen um, for that reason. He's he's too good a player to not to pass over when you've got a wide receiver 
need. Past Michael Thomas, the Saints are awful at wide receiver. Michael Thomas has been hurt the last two seasons. He may be a contract issue at the end of the year. Going and getting someone like a Jamison Williams, who I think is the best receiver in this draft as far as career length, um, he'd be the guy I would take a look at here. I think that that's what the Saints will do. And it's who I would take if I was them as well. The uh, Chargers at 17. I can't believe Jermaine Johnson, the edge rusher out of Florida State, is still on the board in this mock draft, Bo. Um, but that's not a need for the Chargers at edge at this point. Uh, this, I think, realistically, this is a scenario where the Chargers would probably trade down because there's not a player that necessarily fits uh, the value of that 17 pick for what they need. But if they had to stay in this spot, Bo, uh, I think their pick here, they would go offensive guard and go with Zion Johnson out of uh, Boston College here at 17. They need help on that interior offensive line there. Yeah, I see where you're going there. I do think it's a landing spot for a trade. Um, you know, I've already seen one rumor, even though it's in the division, that the Chiefs might trade up to this spot. If the Saints and the Eagles were to both pass on Jamison Williams, the Chargers could pull a really great trade-off here for someone, for one of these better teams to go up and move up, you know, from the mid-20s in the 17 and maybe even pick up a first-round pick next year or something, or a high second this year. Uh, you can get some depth to trade like that. Um, I agree with what you're thinking there is, too. 18, the Eagles on the clock for their second pick bowl. They already took Chris Olave. What do they do now? Well, I think they need some help on the defensive line. And you talked about the edge rusher earlier. I think if Jermaine Johnson's there, you go there if you're the Eagles. Yeah, that would be a home run pick. I think you're yeah. getting a top 10 talent falling to you at 18. You'd be pleased if you're Philly at that spot, uh, getting Jermaine Johnson there. 19, the New Orleans Saints. Now, I have a lot of pressure. I got to make a pick for Bo's team here at uh, at 19. So, so Bo, I, I don't want to leave you out here. So, I, I want to ask you. Um, for this second pick for the Saints, what direction are you leaning? Well, okay, so my fear is that they're leaning toward Kenny Pickett. Um, if they can get a receiver at 16, I think at 19 they're going to go offensive tackle. Um, if they don't get a receiver at 16, I think they go receiver at 19. So it just depends on how the first pick. We've got them taking a receiver there. So I think they go tackle, but I would not be surprised if the Saints are in love with Kenny Pickett because he's been there already. They're talking to him. If, again, we're going to see people overreach on draft day for these quarterbacks. And I think people, they squint their eyes when they see Kenny Pickett. I think they squint their eyes and they see Drew Brees. I don't think that's a great comparison, but that's what people think. And i I can see the new Saints fall into that trap. So I'm going to let you decide here. But those are the two ways I think they could go at 19. Okay. So if I'm making this pick for the Saints, I would go offensive tackle and go Trevor Penning. The 6-7 behemoth. I don't care that he played at Northern Iowa. He dominated in the senior bowl. He's a little nasty. And he might get a few penalties for some unsportsmanlike conduct from time to time. But I'll take that. That's yeah. worth it. You can coach those things. Yeah. Um, and left but, tackle is a need because of uh, the Taron Armstead leaving to go to the Miami Dolphins. Right. Um, with all that being said, 
I don't see them passing on Kenny Pickett if he's still available at 19 and them needing a quarterback. I would go pinning here, but the Saints and this flirting they've done with Kenny Pickett, I think they go Kenny Pickett at 19 here, Bo. Okay. I, I, that's as a Saints fan, it's my biggest fear. It's my biggest fear. They go receiver at 15 and they come back at 19. But I do think that I, I think that 19th pick is going to depend on what they do at the 16th pick. And I do think that if at 19, if they don't take Pickett, I think it's Penny, the Penny, the kid from Northern Iowa. He is nasty. He is the perfect replacement for Taron Armstead. All right. Pittsburgh Steelers on the clock at 20. We know they need a quarterback, Bo, but okay. two quarterbacks off the board now. What do they do at 20? Okay, so this is kind of your squad here. This is kind of a Jonesy kind of thing here. So I'm going to defer a little bit to you. I think that they if, if Pickett or Willis has fallen, and I know some draft pundits are thinking that all the quarterbacks are going to fall, I think they take the best of the two. If neither of them are there, I can see the Steelers dropping back a few spots if there's somebody who wants to need there. Um, I don't think that they press for a quarterback here with both Pickett and Malik Willis gone. I think Malik Willis is a Steeler if he doesn't go to Carolina. Um, I really... From here, looking at their roster, thinking about what there's, I would need. There's one name that jumps out to me. Which um, one's that? It's Devin Lloyd. I think Devin Lloyd's terrific talent, and he just looks like a Pittsburgh Steeler. I can see that. I I, I like Nicobe Dean from Georgia a little bit better. Okay. Um, but I also will say this. The Georgia guys, we know they all played well. They won a national title. The problem is they all played together. So you kind of wonder what's it going to be like when they're not all together, when it's, um, you know, everybody in the league is that good. Uh, but I can see Devin Lloyd. Let's go ahead and go with your idea there, Devin Lloyd. I like it. Okay, so Devin Lloyd goes to the Steelers at 20. Let's recap the last 10 picks here. Garrett Wilson goes to the Jets at 10. Kyle Hamilton to Washington at 11. Trent McDuffie at 12 to Minnesota. Charles Cross at 13 to Houston. Drake London at 14 to the Ravens. Chris Alave at 15 to the Eagles. Jamison Williams at 16 to the Saints. Zion Johnson at 17 to the Chargers. Jermaine Johnson the second at 18 to the Eagles. Kenny Pickett at 19 to the Saints. And Devin Lloyd at 20 to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And now the New England Patriots are on the clock at 21 here. Bo, um, history says Bill Belichick probably trades back. Uh, <laughs> but if they were to hold this pick uh, here, you know, there's a, there's a number of directions. That was a good New England team last year, Bo, but Bill Belichick made up for a lot of the roster issues that were really going on. They have more needs than I think people realize. I agree with that. I think there's a lot of teams that need a lot of needs here. And there's some players who they could take. Belichick's going to look for the best Belichick guys. He's going to find a guy who I think he goes defense. I think he goes to a player that can play more than one position in a way. I think he plays, finds a middle of the defense kind of guy who can also play on the, on the line of scrimmage. Can yeah. You tell me what you think here. Uh, I think it's uh, George uh, Kalafas from Purdue here. Okay. All right. I think uh, they go edge rusher at uh, at 21 uh, with that pick. Green Bay on the clock at 22, Bo. 
Uh, Aaron Rodgers, he, he wants some receiving help. They got two chances to do it at 22 and 28. Does it happen? Yeah, they do. And this thing's loaded. They can go Christian Watson here. They can go Traylon Burks. Um, they could go, let me look here. George Dodson. George, what's that? Jahan Dodson. Jahan Dodson's available as well. Um, I think, man, they're going to take one of them. I don't know which one they're going to take. In, in every one, once you get past the first couple, once you get past Williams, um, Jameson Williamson, you get from there, you kind of get the okay, who fits your system best? Everything I'm seeing. Uh, I know Mel Kuyper's picking him with uh, Christian Watson from North Dakota State. So I'm going to go there as well. You know, uh, Watson had less than 800 receiving yards at an FCS school. Yeah. Um, I get it that, you know, he's had family that played in the NFL and he's got incredible body size and frame and such. But to me, it feels like Watson is a, a potential pick. It's not based on the body of work that's been there. I would agree with that. I agree with that completely, but I think at receiver, you're just looking at who's the raw talent, and let's go from there. All right, uh, 23, the uh, Arizona Cardinals uh, picking uh, at this spot. Um, you know, I, I think they, they need some more help on that defense. Pretty solid corner, and uh, Andrew Booth Jr. still on the board. I go with him at 23 here for Arizona, Bo. Yeah, I think it's a division for teams when they need somebody, a two-way player at corner. He's a player that both can play on the play, can play on a receiver and can also help you in the run game. I think it's a great pick. How about them Cowboys at 24? What does Jerry and Steven Jones do here, Bo? I think they're going to go receiver. I think they're going to take Traylon Burks from Arkansas. This is Jones. Jerry Jones is on the They can't the stay away from their hogs. Can't stay away from the hogs. I think they're going to get a hog here. I think he's a great player as well. Um, I think that's just um, it, it's a no-brainer for them. And I think it's a I think it's a solid guy for their base. The uh, Buffalo Bills at twenty five. Uh, Bo, this team really good last year. They've made some improvements this offseason, bringing in Von Miller. What do you think the the, the big need is for the, the Bills at this spot? I don't think they have a one standout need. I think that's part of being one of those top teams. I think Buffalo's in that. I think Kansas City, in a way, is like that. Um, I, I, you could probably think corner. They might go ahead and get another receiver. They're, they're, they can. This is a team that's going to be the best athlete they can get their hands on at this point. Is what I, I think, think the best athlete at this point is Daxton Hill from Michigan, the okay. uh, the safety. I think that's who they go with at this spot. Uh, very versatile guy. Uh, he, he's from Tulsa. Uh, you know, his brother, of course. Uh, is in the uh, the NFL as well. The uh, the very good uh, running back, uh, Justice Hill. Uh, you know he's had a, a decent career at this point. Uh, Daxon Hill's an athlete, and I think uh, Buffalo would love to have him if they can get him there at twenty five. Tennessee on the clock at twenty six. Bo, if AJ Brown is traded before the draft, I think they go receiver. But I don't yeah. think they're moving on from AJ Brown here, so that kind of opens up the board at twenty six. Well. I think so too, but I think also they've got to get some help to that offense. They've got to get something to stretch the field. I think even if they move on from, even if they don't move on from AJ Brown, another receiver could not hurt this team. Um, I, I like this is a, could be a good spot for Jahan Johnson for Jahan Dotson from Penn State. I just I see the, the Titans looking for something to 
They need to put some weapons around Ryan Tannehill. This to give him another one. Okay. Uh, 27, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on the clock at this point. Uh, Bo, Tom Brady and company going to try to run it back one more time here. Um, I look at this uh, Bucs team and they got, even the year they won the Super Bowl, they were getting beat on the outside. They need some help. I, I still think of what Matt Stafford did to pick apart that defense wouldn't hurt them if they get uh, Elam, the corner from uh, Florida here at 27, I think. Yeah, I see it. I I, I, I think they're going to go defense. They're going to look at some athletes. That's just been their MO in this Brady era is to just load it up and go that way. And I can see that. Yeah. 28, the Green Bay Packers on the board. Bo, what do you think here for the uh, Packers with their second pick? Um. You know, we've, we've already gotten one Packer pick in, and we had a receiver going there. Um, you know, you want to look around and say, okay, well, what other weapon can we give to uh, to Rodgers to use here? And frankly, there's just not a running back worth it. Um, the receiving the receivers, you've already picked one up. So I think now what you start looking for if you're the Packers is you start looking at, do I need an offensive tackle? And I don't know. I have to look to see if their their tackle situation is. To be honest, um, but I think if not, they're going to go best defensive player, the most athletic player, and I think it's Nicobe Dean. That's a really good pick. I like that for the Packers at uh, twenty eight. The Chiefs yes. with back to back picks twenty nine and thirty. We'll start out with that twenty ninth pick that uh, I'll get to make here for the Chiefs and. You know, one of these picks is going to be a receiver, and we've had a run on receivers uh, as of late, uh, you know, in uh, in this round of the draft, uh, this, this first round, very uh, a lot of them. But, you know, the, the other thing for this team is they, they still need, I think, some help on that offensive line. I think that when you look at this Chiefs team, they were much improved last year, but a lot of it was – was just band-aids on it. You know, you have Orlando Brown that you put on the franchise tag, but do you know how long you're going to keep him? And, you know, what about on the other side? I think Trevor Pinning provides the Chiefs a potential safety net where if they can't afford Orlando Brown, they could slide Pinning over or he could play right tackle for them. I like Pinning with uh, the 29th pick here for the Chiefs here, Bo. Okay, so I like your thinking but you're not going to put Penning at right tackle. So, and I do think Orlando Brown is going to get extended. So if they do pick Penning, it means they're not going to extend Orlando Brown. Um, this is what it would tell me. Now, if the Chiefs didn't take him, he's not going to last past 31 because the Bengals would take him. Um, but I do think, so you got, you got Penning going at 30? At right, 29. Now 29. you have the second Chiefs pick at 30. At 30, Okay. Um, well, I think it's receiver. I mean, I just – now, I think the Chiefs are trading up. I think they're going to package 29 and 30 and trade up to get a better receiver. Um, but they're going to look at this and go, okay, well, if they're sitting there and they couldn't make the right deal, who are you looking at? We've already got – how many receivers are already off the board here for us? Uh, quite a few. Are we at seven? We at, Where are we at? One, two, three, four, five. Okay. 
I'm trying to find my other receivers here because I had a couple of them here still. Um, let's see. I forgot the one I was thinking of. Uh, still on the board. Oh, available here we go. Sky, Sky Moore from uh, West, Western Michigan. Okay. That's the one the Chiefs are going to be looking at. He I was, feels I like I had an Andy Reid receiver. I've had one on my brain in particular. Yeah, so Sky Moore from Western Michigan is the guy I think. And I've got him rated. I think that's about right for him. I think he's going to be a great guy. He can be another weapon for Mahomes. I think he's a great fill. But he's not going to be a Tyreek Hill replacement. There is not a Tyreek Hill replacement in this draft. No. But Sky Moore's got better hands than Tyreek Hill does. Um, 31, the Cincinnati Bengals on the clock. Bo, it's going to be an offensive lineman. It's just a matter of who. And personally, I really like Tyler Linderbaum from Iowa. To me, he feels like Creed Humphrey 2.0. I like what he's going to bring to the National Football League. What he did at Iowa, to me, it'd be a home run, and Joe Burrow would be very happy to uh, have that protection uh, in front of him there at center. I go Linderbaum at 31. Yeah, if Linderbaum's available and Penning's gone, then I think that, that he's there for them. All right, last pick, the Detroit Lions on the clock. Bo, who do you go for Detroit with the final pick of the first round? Okay, so this is where we're going to see the overreach of overreaches because it's the last pick in the first round. I'll explain this in a second. The Lions are going to take a quarterback here. They're going to take a quarterback, both Malik Willis, and I, I think they're hopeful that Pickett falls all the way down to him. I don't think that happens. So I think they go to the third best quarterback in this draft. And to me, that's Matt Carell from Mississippi. And I think they take Matt Carell. Now, the reason I think that, that happens is that the difference between drafting a quarterback in the first round and the second round is you get them under contract for one more season. You get the upwards of a five-year deal when a second round pick will get a four-year deal. So that's where you'll see that overreach. The Lions need a long-term solution to quarterback. That's who I see him taking is Matt Corral. So a quick I wouldn't recap. be surprised if it's Desmond Ritter as well. Okay. So a quick recap uh, of our mock draft. Uh, the Jags get Hutchinson at one. Kayvon Thibodeau to the Lions at two. Trayvon Walker to Houston at three. Sauce Gardner to the Jets at four. Akeem Aquano at five to the Giants. Malik Willis to the Panthers at six. Jordan Davis to the Giants at seven. Derek Stingley Jr. to the Falcons at eight. Evan Neal to Seattle at nine. Garrett Wilson to the Jets at 10. Kyle Hamilton to Washington at 11. Trent McDuffie to Minnesota at 12. Charles Cross to Houston at 13. Drake London to Baltimore at 14. Chris Olave to Philadelphia at 15. Jamison Williams to New Orleans at 16. Zion Johnson to the Chargers at 17. Jermaine Johnson to the Eagles at 18. Kenny Pickett to the Saints at 19. 20, the Steelers go Devin Lloyd. 21, the Patriots go George Clotavis. 22, the Packers go with Christian Watson. 23, Arizona gets Andrew Booth Jr. 24, Dallas gets wide receiver Traylon Burks. 25, Buffalo goes with Daxton Hill. 26, Jahan Dodson goes to Tennessee. 27, Kalir Elam goes to the Bucks. 28, 
Nicobe Dean goes to the Packers, 29. Trevor Pinning to Kansas City, 30. Sky Moore to Kansas City, 31. Tyler Linderbaum to the Bengals, and 32. Matt Corral to the Lions. So, Bo, uh, overall, now that we've finished up this mock draft, what's your overall takeaways uh, from this mock here? The receivers. The receivers. There's going to be seven or eight in the first round. It's going to be crazy different. And uh, the fact that we won't see a running back in the first round, I don't know if we'll see a running back till the third round. Um, actually, I think we'll see one in the second round. Um, but I, the receivers will be a big deal. All the edge rushers are going to go early. It'll be interesting to see the teams that are looking at tackles to see who takes a tackle and who didn't do or who drafts the best available athlete. You know, would a Trevor Penning drop to the, the high 20s like we've got him? We've got Trevor dropping to the 29 to the, to the Chiefs. I mean, it'd be unbelievable to see that. But the Chiefs or the Bengals would love that. I also think, and I, we didn't really get to do this in the, in the mock, I think there's going to be a bunch of trades. Yes. I think we're going to see – I mean, I think we're going to see more than we've seen the last couple of years. I think last year we only had two on, dra- on draft day, or maybe even one. There was a lot of people just kind of staying pat. But the way these teams are this year, if you're drafting for need – there's there's different levels of players at different spots, especially the receivers. I and then I think we're going to see the overreach in the two quarterbacks. Yeah, it, it'll tell me a lot about the NFL. If the NFL is evolving, then we won't see the overreach on the draft on the quarterbacks. If Carolina and New Orleans don't overreach on those two drafts on those two players, then I don't think we see a quarterback till twenty with the Steelers taking Malik Wilts. Mm-hmm. And then I don't think we see Pickett until 32. Um, let's go ahead and dive into a couple headlines real quick. we got a little bit of time. Uh, Debo Samuel requesting a trade from the Niners. And we were talking to Steve Weish earlier, and Steve brought up that he does think it's a money issue, despite what Samuel is trying to lead on. Um, that the durability thing is not what this is really about. What do you think of this situation? What ultimately is the end game for Debo Samuel here, Bo? I think it is money. I, I think Debo Samuel, I think DK Metcalf kind of falls into this too a little bit, is these guys were second-round picks. They haven't secured the bag on the money yet. They're both 26. They're both going to go into the last year, the rookie contract. They both know they're also in organizations where they're going to get the franchise tag if they don't get a deal done now. So it's a matter of trying to either force your way into a trade to get an extension now and get that extension based upon the fact you're 26 and having your best seasons right now in the prime of your career. If we can see how much money Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill are getting, they're looking at that and going, hey, we're just as good and we're younger. And so they want that bag too. And I think that they were, they weren't, neither of them were first round picks. I think it's a big deal. I do think with Samuel, especially, I think it's the money thing. I think with DK Metcalf, you could say maybe he's afraid of not being able to win there as well because they just don't have a, a great team right now in Seattle with Russ, with Russ being gone. But I do think that, I think for Samuel, it's the money. I think it's the money, and, and, and I don't think he wants to play running back and receiver, and he's doing both in, in, in San Francisco. Yeah. They're, they're also, frankly, maybe he doesn't 
Maybe he doesn't feel real confident in the quarterback situation. Um, where do you think uh, Debo ends up when it's all said and done? I I think he stays in San Francisco. I don't think they're crazy enough to trade him. I don't think anyone's going to give him what he's worth. His worth is two ones. The problem is, is that you're not going to get two ones. You might as well make the deal, lock him up for five years, you know, pay him top wide receiver money and have a weapon you know isn't going anywhere. Do you see his role changing? Do you see it being reduced if his carries and and running back attempts? I mean, part of it was they were so so banged up at running back anyway last year. Yeah, and it's hard to address that running back situation. You know, I'm fond of saying, I've said it here before, that I think running back in the NFL is the most replaceable position. The 49ers have not done a good job with the running back position, but they've shown that they can get fill-in players. They just didn't do it this past season. This past season, they saw Samuel and said, hey, this is a guy we got on the rookie contract. We don't have to worry about a, a big ticket item. You're getting hurt. So use it. Um, there's someone who desperately could use a running back, maybe a veteran running back. You know, if I was the 40 yards, that's the direction I would go. Uh, that or I would try to make a trade. Um, oh, God, I wish I had my list in front of me. Uh, Brees Hall from Iowa State. Would be someone if I'm the 49ers, I'm looking at early in the second round. Uh, I think that would make Samuel look feel a little better about the situation. Yeah. Um, last thing before we go, uh, let me ask you about the uh, USFL making its debut. Crowds weren't great, but the ratings were pretty solid. Not what the XFL was a couple of years ago, but still three million people tuned in, and you know the the product on the field was pretty good. wasn't bad. Um, Bo, what did you, you think of uh, what the USFL put together for its debut? I didn't get to watch much. Uh, Saturday night, I was able to glance at one of the games. It was um, the um, New Jersey Generals game. Yeah. What jumped off the page at me for the quarter and a half I watched was the play of DeAndre Johnson, the quarterback mm-hmm. there. Um, two-way guy, dual-threat guy. He was just picking guys, finding guys wide open, and then just making plays with his legs. It looks like it's an offensive brand of football. A lot of that's just the way the NFL rules are, and it's going to have that's going to extend to the USFL. It looks like a, a um, an early season, high division one kind of football. You know, like a, an early season SEC kind of game. Right. I mean, I mean, that's fine. That's, for that, me, that's watching that, it, there's quality players out there. I was watching it, and with the way that they were doing some of the camera angles and such, I felt like I was watching somebody play Madden. I can see what you're saying there. I didn't pay that close attention to because I was in a bar and doing two the things double sky one. cam thing, you know, yeah. on the ground for the field goal and all that. I mean, yeah. Um, There'll be some things that the NFL can pick up on. I'm intrigued to watch. You know, I'll stay close attention to it and such. Um, It wasn't as good as the XFL for me, but I think they have some potential. Yeah, the XFL last season was at 2020. 2020, the XFL did it right. I know you and I actually watched a couple of games together. We were like, hey, this is is exciting stuff. I mean, you had the the one, two, and three-point plays for the the extra points and stuff like that. I loved all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, the USFL not having a crowd, you know, with this piss poor attendance, 
it felt like watching football in the co- the early COVID times without crowds and such. And you know, the XFL, you know, you had these fans running beer snakes and <laughs> yeah. you know the, the St. Louis crowd chanting F Stan Cronky and such. I mean, um, to me that added so much. And the USFL just feels like it's made for TV. It's not about who's there. Well, and who owns it? I mean, it's Fox. It's, and Fox owns it and it and it, it's a TV product. It, right. It's and that's okay. I'm not trying to say anything bad about Fox here. They're trying to fill programming like everybody else. They got a football league, and, and people are going to watch. And it, and if it, if the if, if half the audience falls off next weekend, which yeah. it's going to fall off, we don't know how much, but we're going to it's going to be a considerable amount. But if half the audience falls off, they're still drawing more than any other programming they could have at that time. Mm-hmm. They're drawing if they draws by half the people. It's still doing better than baseball would be doing on there at that time. Right. And what were they airing on FS1 during the week to fill programming? Reruns of the USFL games. Yeah. So it carries over. It's something. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it just is what it is. I mean, it's it's television programming and it's it's football for the sake of football. But, hey, it's football. I I, What little bit I got to see, I enjoyed. I'm going to watch a little bit this weekend, so. Yeah. Uh, Bo, uh, before we go, tell people where they uh, can find you and what's coming up on the uh, show uh, the next couple of days. Okay. So the Coach Bo Knows podcast, everywhere you find this podcast, we do this every we do it every Monday and Friday. This week, we just had on Monday's pod, and I recommend everybody going back to Monday's pod, we had uh, Micah Brown, the uh, film director, came on, talk about the Great WWE. Great interview, doc- by the way. Well, thank you. Uh, we, had a, we had him on to talk about the WWE documentary, uh, WWE Evil, which is on Peacock. He talked about that. Also talked about his career and some of the stuff he's done. He specializes in sports docs. He did the uh, Chuck and Tito 30 for 30. It was really great. We talked about his, his association with UFC and WWE. Uh, he tells a great story about his um, uh, prison fighters doc and how he got that job. Uh, it's the best story we've ever heard on the Coach Bonos podcast. So I'll just tease it that way. That came out Monday on Friday's pod on the point five, as we call it. Uh, we're going to talk about just a hit on just kind of a bow nose rant. It's going to be Coach Bo just kind of ranting on a few things. We're going to touch on some baseball, uh, a little bit about the draft, a couple other things in there. We go about an hour. My co-host, Ellen Wigginter, is on there with me on Friday's pod. And we're going to just kind of touch on the small subjects as we get prepared for next week in the NFL draft. We'll have a preview on Monday. Bo, uh, appreciate the time as always, my friend. We will talk to you next week and uh, look forward to it. Thanks for joining us, man. Thanks, Tyler. You have a great week. Take care, bud. A couple more things before we wrap up today's show. Derek Haglund rejoins us. Let's talk some uh, Big 12 football as spring practices are underway. And we've already seen schools like Kansas have their spring game. Oklahoma has theirs this weekend and such. And uh, the search for a Big 12 commissioner is still ongoing after Bob Bowlesby announced after the national championship from Kansas that he was stepping away as the Big 12 commissioner at the end of this year. And now what the Big 12 is looking at, there was reports from The Athletic this week that with the instability of the conference that a lot of the major program 
athletic directors were not interested in this gig of leading the Big 12 forward. And one name has emerged in particular, Kurt Schultz, the president at Washington State. And if that name sounds familiar to you, he was the previous president at Kansas State and not real popular among K-State fans because he was there in the John Curry era. John Curry was AD and they chased off Frank Martin and the rest is history, as they say. But nonetheless, right. he's seen as kind of one of the leaders in the Big 12 calling the shots, even with dealing with Oklahoma and Texas right there within the conference. So there is this idea of a powerful voice in Schultz that some within the Big 12 like. Another name, a popular name, is Oliver Locke, the former commissioner of the XFL, and also, he was a president within Major League Soccer, worked for the NCAA, former athletic director at West Virginia, and, of course, is the father of former NFL quarterback Andrew Locke. And was also on the college football playoff committee, the first college football playoff committee. Yes, he was. Uh, great track record, uh, an innovator, and strong ties to the Big 12. I, I saw from Garen Emig of the Tulsa World, he, he brought up an interesting point with with Oliver Luck is that with the state of the Big 12 now, a couple of years ago, when you looked at candidates, you would have liked somebody that had ties to Oklahoma or Texas. That would have been your preference. Now you look at Oliver Luck and someone that their roots are within West Virginia. That's better than having ties with Oklahoma and Texas now. That's how much the league has changed and such. And yeah. he saw what – West Virginia did to go from the Big East to the Big 12 and has seen transitions before. And and I know that things didn't end well with the XFL, but I thought that he was an innovator. He had some great ideas. Personally, uh, I like the idea of Oliver Luck, uh, not just because of the name and, and such, but with his track record, uh, I think he could be the right guy to, to lead the Big 12 going forward. And and the, the other thing, too, that Oliver Luck stood out to me uh, Derek was in his time in the XFL, he promoted the hell out of that league and he found ways to get the XFL in the spotlight. The big 12 is always now going to be behind the SEC and the big 10. And you're going to be competing with the PAC 12 and the ACC for attention. And I think all of our luck could be the right guy to make the big 12 stand out going forward. Well, and you, Tyler, you, you talk about Oliver Luck with the XFL. Look at the viewership numbers. I mean, like the USFL just relaunched. Their viewership was not great um, this, this past weekend compared to what it was the first couple of weeks when the XFL launched in, in 2020 and then ultimately had to shut down because of, um, you know, COVID-19 and, and, and the pandemic and everything. So it's, it's, it's really crazy. I, I'm actually intrigued with him. I, I actually am intrigued with, with President Schultz, too. Um, I, I, I just I, I wonder if what happened with Texas and Oklahoma last summer deciding to leave and go to the SEC has, has really pushed Bob Bullsby to the forefront of wanting to be out and wanting to leave um, and wanting to – to, to retire. I wonder if this was the plan for him to do that at some point this season after this, you know, a academic year was over um, an athletic calendar was over or um, you know, if what he's had to deal with the last couple of years and how everything was happening with Texas and Oklahoma um, has, has forced him to, to do, to, 
to to want to leave. The thing with Bowlesby was that he was always reactionary. You know, when when Oklahoma and Texas yeah. announced they were leaving, uh, he did a great job of you know right away going and getting Cincinnati and BYU and Houston and UCF. That was a great call by Bowlesby to do that, but. You know, I, I very well think that Bowlesby still could have kept Oklahoma and Texas around if he would have just been competent and would have been ahead on it. That that could have been salvaged. Uh, but I, I blame Bob Bowlesby for allowing that to happen. And so whoever the next Big 12 commissioner is, and that's why I lean towards a guy like Oliver Luck, is you have to be proactive, not reactive, uh, you know, as far as the, the direction of this conference goes going forward. I think that you know, you're, you're still going to have a very good basketball league and you have some good potential uh, football schools, but you got to be aggressive. And uh, I think Oliver Luck could be that guy for the Big 12. But it's interesting to see how this ultimately shapes out of who the next Big 12 commissioner will be. Uh, Lincoln Riley put out a uh, letter in the Players' Tribune and uh, <laughs> Oklahoma people, uh, I, I think, are going to have a bad taste in their mouth about the Players' Tribune when – uh, you had Kevin Durant making his announcement there a few years ago, and now not a great, finally... not not great luck for for the state of Oklahoma with the Players Tribune. No, going out to California and then writing in the Players Tribune is a recipe for disaster. Um, yeah. I think the Players <laughs> Tribune is a joke to begin with. I mean, it's just agents writing those stories anyway. You know, ghost writing as is, but nonetheless, hey, they're, they're they're not all they're not all David Falk where you know he writes up all these press releases when mj decides he's going to return and he says you know well if you don't like the way that it sounds you freaking do it and mj just goes i'm back right all you needed to say right Right? (laughs) they can't they can't all be that easy like that right not nothing is like that the the players tribune's a joke (laughs) but nonetheless you had this thing come out from lincoln riley and and he sort of apologized for the the way (laughs) that things went down and, you know, I mean, I I get it that he's trying to save face and such and all this, but for me, it's, it will always come down to this and the, the unforgivable sin from Lincoln Riley at the end of the day that history cannot change no matter what is that after Lincoln left Roy Manning, he intentionally kept, around and did not bring to LA right away and was caught recruiting on behalf of USC while on the Oklahoma payroll that was caught that was discovered and OU compliance was on it right away and sure enough Roy Manning was relieved of his duties pretty fast from that to me that you cannot change with this a free country people can leave for jobs left and right We don't have non-competes in college football coaching contracts, although there should be. That's something I'd like to see change. Um, But that is the unforgivable sin. No matter what, you know, you can write this letter or whatever. You you can't go back and change what happened. No matter what, that happened. That was proven. And Lincoln Riley is guilty of that. So for me, you know, you you got, you know, Lincoln Riley is going to have or uh, Baker Mayfield, rather, this weekend's going to have his statue revealed in Norman. You know, Lincoln's not getting any statues. Uh, <laughs> you know, not with this, his... this poor playoff record. Right, yeah. Um, and the fact they got worse every year under Lincoln Riley. Um, you know, <laughs> B- Baker is going to have this statue reveal, and I'm sure that he's hurt, that he's not invited, that he's not going to be there and such. But 
you know, you got to sleep in the bed you made. And that's what it comes down to. I think the bed in Malibu looks pretty nice, though. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, I, I, I think I would be all right uh, out there. Just saying, um, you know, living in uh, living in the mansion that uh, that USC decided to uh, to pay for um, for him. You know, maybe we'll 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 hear. I'm hopeful for um, from Baker Mayfield's perspective. We'll see if or where he thinks he might go, because obviously he's not showing up to. Um, Cleveland's offseason program because we know that he's not going to be the Browns quarterback after they just gave, um, you know, Deshaun Watson $230 million guaranteed. Um, but, you know, I, I do think that I do think Lincoln probably could have handled him, his, his leaving better. But I also feel like he might be scorned and, and a little upset with how the whole move to the SEC happened. And he wasn't consulted fully on it um, because, you know, we've had these conversations, Tyler, he's a big 12 guy. He didn't want to go to the SEC because Oklahoma's not necessarily at that time willing to give all the resources that, you know, schools like a Georgia or an Alabama or an Auburn have for football. Oklahoma's going to have to up their budget and up everything else. And it'll help obviously being in the SEC, getting more money. Um, but that's something that probably might not happen overnight. Yeah, no, it is not going to happen overnight. Uh, I like Brent Venables and I think Brent's going to do a good job at OU, but there is going to have to be some changes in how Oklahoma does things going forward in the SEC. I don't think, that they are ready right now for what is about to come. I think uh, OU compliance. Where it just means more. Yes. OU compliance runs too tight of a ship. They're going to have to realize that, you know, hey, with things meaning more, you, you let a few gotta more be willing to get a little muddy. By. You got to be willing to get your hands a little dirty in the SEC. Right. Especially now that NIL's out there. Right. And, and I think Lincoln Riley realized that. I think that was part of the decision. Uh, no question about it. Um, but, you know, the, these things, it's what I hope when it's all said and done, when we look back years from now, you know, did it hurt that Lincoln Riley left? Of course. You know, we, we've had that discussion over and over again. But I hope at the end of the day that Oklahoma comes out better and they say, you know what? There was part of it that Lincoln was right. Oklahoma has got to do some things different to get ready for the SEC. You know, got to get tougher. Compliance has got to back off a bit. You know, at the end of the day, Oklahoma can come out ahead of when it's all said and done. I hope that it's one of those situations where, okay, Derek, you know, you know, you, you get involved in a breakup and it may have been 70 or 80% her fault of what went down, but you still have to have that self-realization. Okay. I need to improve myself on my 20%. It might just be 20 or 15 or even 10%, but there's still that self-realization you have to realize. And I hope Oklahoma goes through that. Well, my first question is, why would anybody ever want to break up with me? I mean, look at this. <laughs> so it definitely ain't me. Uh, but no, I get, I get what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, you, you got that Dan Dockage, uh, you know, head going right. on. That's right. That's uh, right. I look better, though. Um, I just don't have the money that he does. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, I, I, I get it. And I, I think, you know, it, there's always two sides to each story. Um, and, and I think we've learned this too, that, you know, time heals all wounds. Um, I I do think that Lincoln Riley did a lot of good things for, for Oklahoma football. Um, 
I also don't think that Oklahoma's really been Oklahoma for a long time, even since Bob Stoops was there. I mean, you know, I, I, I think the last time, in my opinion, that Oklahoma was Oklahoma was when they played Florida in the national championship. I feel like that was the last time, you know. That's the last time they've played in a national title game. Yeah, but, but, but I, I mean, like, I think you get what I'm saying. Like, that was the last time I was like, man, like, they're Oklahoma. Right. I, I haven't really thought that. I mean, like, out, outside of when they lost Lincoln's first trip to the college football playoff, Baker Mayfield senior year, the year he won the Heisman, I, I do feel like that Oklahoma team was better than that Georgia team. They should have won yes. that yeah. game. But all those other trips that they've made, they lost to the better team. I mean, Alabama in 2018, um, LSU was a far superior team in 2019. Um, you know, so, you know, it's it's one of those things where they've got to get back to 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 being Oklahoma and the thing for them is is that you know Nebraska fans don't realize they're never going to be Nebraska again they're never Tommy Frazier's not walking through that door um Eric Crouch isn't walking through those doors at Memorial Stadium I think Oklahoma's smart enough and has the resources and the people in the right places to eventually one day once you figure out how to do things right in the SEC and get your hands a little dirty to go back to being Oklahoma. Right. Yeah. The, the pieces are in place. They can do it. Yeah, for sure. I think you're right about that. Uh, last thing in the uh, Big 12 football front, uh, JT Daniels, who was the backup quarterback this past year for Georgia, entered the year as the starter, got hurt. Stetson Bennett took over, and the rest is history. They won the national title. Uh, is transferring to West Virginia and is expected to be the starter right away for the Mountaineers. West Virginia, rough start to the year last year, but they finished strong. They beat Texas in Austin, uh, had some nice wins there at the end. Although they were a 5-7 and seven team, they ended up winning, uh, I believe it was three out of their last four. They finished very strong. And uh, Neil Brown on the hot seat this year, right out of yes. the gate. They're going to have to win pretty fast if he wants to keep his job there. Um, to me, this is a good start for, for Neil Brown. You know I mean? He, he really, you know, scoops the pooch when they turned to Austin Kendall when he arrived, the former Oklahoma quarterback. They transferred him in, and that didn't work out well at all. JT Daniels, I think, can come in and be the second-best quarterback in this conference. I would put Quinn Ewers from Texas, the Ohio State transfer, former five-star. I think he's going to be the best quarterback in the league. Um, but I would put JT Daniels right there, number two, and I think he can potentially turn West Virginia into an eight or nine win team this year. I think that's the impact that he could have, and this is huge news for West Virginia and Neil Brown to get JT Daniels there, Derek. Well, well, two things. Um, a, a lot of teams are going into Austin and beating Texas over the last few years. Kansas <laughs> did it this past year. Um, people forget. So, uh, yeah, people. You know, uh, you know, uh, people don't forget. Um, you know, that, that flag is going to fly forever. Um, but you know, yeah, I mean, I think going into the big 12 with, with JT Daniels and obviously he was, he was the starter for, for Georgia. I, I was a guy who all season kept like, you know, wondering when are they going to turn to JT? When are they going to turn to right, JT? I still think he was the better quarterback. Yeah. And, and, but, but I mean, Stetson Bennett made the plays and helped win them the national championship. So we'll never know, but Stetson Bennett is a better, was a better, is a better athlete. He can run and use his legs. JT Daniels is old school, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning stand back there in the pocket, which is why I think going into the big 12, your top quarterbacks are it's Jalen Daniels one, 
Jalen Daniels too, and then everybody else. Yeah, JT Daniels. Yeah. No, Jalen Daniels from Kansas. It's Jalen and then. Oh yes. <laughs> so. <laughs> yes, yes, Jalen Daniels for president. Yes. Right. Um, With Jared Casey as his running mate. Right, Jared Casey. Uh, give him all the Applebee's. That's um, right. But yeah, uh, JT Daniels. Uh, you know, I, I thought it was a nice find for West Virginia. Um, you look at the quarterbacks in this league, it's going to look a lot different in 2022. Um, you know, with, with Dylan Gabriel leading the way for Oklahoma, I like Daniels better than I do Gabriel. I think West Virginia got the better quarterback than Oklahoma did. Yeah. Um, yeah. When you were well, Daniels uh, like, was rumored to go to Missouri. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, nice find for West Virginia, keeping him out of uh, Columbia. Um, yeah. burning, burning couches is a lot more fun than uh, hanging out in safe spaces in Columbia, Missouri. You know, if, if I well, you know what they say at West Virginia, it just means more. Do they say that? Okay, I don't know. I That's just... a new one. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the one for me as far as the quarterbacks in the league that that still you know does not make any sense is that Oklahoma State's going to ride with Spencer Sanders again. Oh, God. I've seen this act how many times now? And Spencer Sanders is not any better than what he was his freshman year at Oklahoma State. It amazes me that as close as they were, they were an inch away from the college football playoff last year, and they did not upgrade the quarterback position. In the portal, in recruiting, nothing, that Spencer Sanders is going to be their guy again. I don't, I don't know what Gundy's thinking. You know, I think everyone always asks, and that's a common theme, is that nobody knows what Gundy's thinking. Because I think at times Gundy doesn't even know what Gundy's thinking. Right. Um, but we'll go after him because he's a man and he's 50. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I just, you know, it, it, we, we know it, Tyler, and, and, and it's cliche, but the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Like you, you know what you're going to get with Spencer Sanders. Um, I, I think they need to use him more in the run game, but I think, you know, what his ceiling is as a passer, which isn't much. Um, I do think that he benefits from having a very good run game. Like he did his first year with uh, his first two years, actually with, with, with Chuba Hubbard. And then um, the, the name is, 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 is missing from my head. The, 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 the running back who did not play this year in the big 12 championship game um, uh, who was, who was really good. Uh, but I think he helped him out. I, I don't know that they're going to have that to be able to, help him out this year so do you really think that this year he's finally going to take that next step um when he's shown no signs of being able to do it when he's had unbelievable running games year after year to take pressure off of him and not do anything right yeah um i have no reason to think that oklahoma state's going to get over that hump when we've seen them disappoint time and time again if they're going to ride with Spencer Sanders is that guy. I, I, I'm out. Uh, Jalen Warren, who's your Jalen Warren? Team. Yes. Hey, yeah. but you know, winner, winner, lose. We booze at Eskimo Joe's. That's yeah. that's all that matters. We eat those chili cheese fries, damn it. That's right, baby. Um, so there you go. That's our that's our Big Twelve breakdown for this week here on the uh, Jones Report. Final segment before we go. 
It is our Tom Fullery story of the week. In case you're new here, folks, uh, each week at the end of the show, usually Thomas Bridges, who's off this week, uh, introduces us to something ridiculous happening in the world. Uh, Derek Haglin is uh, stepping in for Thomas today, so he has uh, Tom Fullery uh, duties and uh, to tell us uh, what's going on. So, Derek, take it away. Tell us where we're going to this time. Well, I, I, we're going to uh, to my neck of the woods, uh, and that's uh, Kansas City, Missouri. Um, and as a resident of this fine metroplex, uh, Kansas City recently voted uh, the worst city in America uh, for dating. Ooh. And uh, as they hit a little close is, to home, literally. Um, I think it's kind of accurate. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly. <laughs> All right. Tell us the story. So uh, it says uh, if you live in Kansas City, Missouri and still find yourself spending most of your nights all by your lonesome, like me, um, <laughs> one, one listing site is ready to validate your experience. According to Sperling's Best Places, which conducted the study in partnership with the somewhat polarizing company AXE Deo or Axe Deodorant Body Spray, uh, there was a set of criteria that was used to evaluate 80 metro areas in the U.S. They say that, inc that included the percentage of singles between the ages of 18 to 24. I don't follow that. Um, the population density, uh, the dating venues per capita for best places that included places like concerts, coffee shops, bars, and apparently high romantic venue of bowling alleys. Never heard that. Um, they also looked at the frequency of hookups, uh, the note the number of intimate apparel stores and how many flowers, how many flowers and jewelry were bought as gifts, man, this just keeps getting better and better. Uh, well, it turns out that uh, our very own KCMO was listed as the number one worst city for dating. Also on the list were Wichita at number two, Minneapolis, St. Paul at number three, Detroit at number four and Louisville at number five. On other less lonely side of the coin was Austin was number one for the best city in dating. Colorado Springs was number two and San Diego was number three. Raleigh Durham was number four and Seattle was number five. You can find all the rankings on this article on KCMO.com. Um, but it's a good thing I'm going to be in uh, Denver. Colorado Springs isn't too far from uh, Denver. So maybe I'll give that a try next week. <laughs> Man, uh, this one... Uh... I can attest as a uh, as somebody that, that used to live in the area, uh, that data from my end is pretty accurate. Uh, I can't say that I had a whole lot of success in the dating scene in uh, Kansas City, Missouri, uh, like I've had in other places. Uh, what wasn't it, it didn't do me well, Dirk. Uh, from what it looks like, it's not doing me well either. So, you know, we're in the same boat on that one. Uh, you've got a lot bigger area to work with now, so right you can I mean, you can widen you can you can widen that net. I can play the field and you know have have more fish to fry, you know. In, in this, well, you're a peacock. We've got to let you fly. Right. You know, I I I'll, I'll tell this story uh, because I, I doubt that she's listening right now. Um, oh boy! And, and if she is, uh, then you know maybe I'm ruining my chances here going forward anyway. But let's go ahead and you know just get this out of the bag. So 
I, uh, this past weekend, I was on a date with a girl in Tulsa, my hometown. And Tulsa did not make the list of bad places to date. And uh, I had a great time. And, you know, this girl, I think there's a, a second date in the very near future and such. And I, I got to tell you, it, it was a little bit of a red flag, though, Derek, that she uh, told me within a couple drinks of this date and with, uh, you know, uh, you know, an hour or two in, she already told me that she wanted my babies and wanted to move to Dallas. A uh, bit of a red flag right away. Uh, you know, a, a bit much, maybe? Um, yeah. Much <laughs> too fast for my liking. Right? Now, uh, the, the, the scene I noticed in Kansas City, Missouri, uh, was, it, it was very much a a mom with kids type of scene. hundred percent. Like I'm too young to be dating any woman with kids right now. Yeah. Well, and I unfortunately am at the age that that's going to be a commonplace. Um, so I don't know that I necessarily have a choice, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. So, Oh man, you, you just got to take what, what you can get, you know? And, that's and, right. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, so which ain't much right now. So, okay. So you, you'll go to a Denver this weekend, and yep. uh, we'll try for Colorado Springs and see if you can get better along. Yes, yes. I uh, in a couple of weeks, so I leave next Thursday um, to go to Denver, and then I'm back the following Monday. Um, I can hop on the podcast that 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 week and tell you um, how the experience was in Colorado Springs. And uh, you don't have to wear a mask. No, that I helps. don't. That's yes. got to help the dating scene, too, just the fact that we can see each other's faces. Right, right, exactly. I mean, there was a point when all of us were wearing Personalities masks. Personalities don't mean anything. Just let me know that you're not wearing a mask and we're good. Okay, I I'm, I'm going to say this, and I might regret it later, but if the first thing you say about a girl is that she's got a great personality, then she ain't it. Okay, well... <laughs> That, that's that's that that's how Tyler Jones lives his life. You're just gonna leave me on that hill and die by myself. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, gosh, yeah, that's uh, that's one that uh, I'll 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 deal with the consequences later. You know, see if things get better. It's better to to, to beg for forgiveness than ask for permission. <laughs> So, so, you know that. so Derek, uh, let's let's put this out there as a as a single man, and you're in Kansas City. For for anyone that may be listening, um, wh what would be the the date night for Derek uh, in Kansas City if, if you have your way? If, if of the of the slim options that it seems of it not being a great place for dates, what what is a night out with Derek Haglund going to be like if some lucky lady gets this opportunity? Man, I mean, you're trying to have me reveal the tricks of the trade, but clearly <laughs> I'm still single, so they don't work. Um, <laughs> uh, so there's a really cool Italian restaurant in Kansas City called Salvatore's. We would start off there, um, have some really good Italian food, probably go maybe like see a movie or walk downtown um, around the Liberty Memorial Union Station or maybe the plaza. Um, uh, and then, you know, hopefully finish the night off with uh, with Andy's. Andy's. OK. Yeah. Some frozen custard. 
Absolutely. Okay. So a, a lot of food involved if you're going to be on Abs- a date with Derek Hack. Yeah, because then that gets him maybe a little inebriated to be like, you know what, my stomach's so full and I can just swoop in and bam, get that kiss on the first date. Okay. Their All stomach's right. got him so distracted. Yes. Yes, and then you go for it. So absolutely, if you want the Italian food and the Andy's frozen custard, Derek's DMs are open at uh, DT underscore Hagley. So that's the easiest way. Yep. So are my messages on Facebook. <laughs> oh man, I, I don't know if uh, I want anybody messaging me on Facebook for dates. That that yeah, that might be the one platform of like yeah that you you didn't come to the right place. Yeah, that might be a little weird. <laughs> Derek, uh, before we go, man, thanks for joining us. Pleasure having you here, filling in for uh, Thomas Bridges. Uh, what's going on in uh, in your world uh, these uh, next couple of days? Not much, man. Uh, you know, like I said, uh, thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Um, but uh, you know, just getting ready for uh, for this trip. Um, Royals have won three in a row, uh, so. Hopefully, uh, hopefully they can uh, make it four in a row uh, against the Twins. Um, but, you know, just getting excited for the NFL draft, seeing what the Chiefs are going to do with all these picks that they've got now um, that's next week. And then, you know, going to gonna get up and uh, go to uh, Denver next week and just have one hell of a vacation. Sounds like a good time. Uh, I am uh, going to be all over the NFL draft the uh, next week or so and uh, certainly should be a lot of fun looking forward to that. As always, subscribe to the Jones Support. New episodes out each and every Thursday. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all major podcast platforms. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. We are on social media, facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live, facebook.com forward slash Studio Soapbox, Twitter at Tyler Jones Live, at DT underscore Haglin, at Studio underscore Soapbox, Instagram, Tyler Jones Live, uh Derek, what's your Instagram? Uh God, I think it's still uh I think it's the same as Twitter, but let me check, man. I haven't we need to get uh, you those Instagram followers too, you know. I know. Uh so it's DT underscore Hagland. Okay, so, yeah. just like the uh the, so it's like the, the same. Twitter. Yeah, just like the Twitter Twitter sphere. Yes, follow him there, follow uh the show, Jones underscore report. You can find us there. Big thanks to uh, Steve Weish for stopping by as well. Always a pleasure. Any chance we get to talk to Steve. He's the man. And I always love talking to him and bringing him on the show anytime. Great friend. And uh, Coach Bo as well for stopping by and uh, joining us. Check out O'Connor Advisory Group, OAGKS.com, O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com. We got to go. We'll see you back here next week. For Derek Hagelin, Steve Weish, Brian O'Connor, our entire crypto, Tyler Jones. Thanks so long. It's been another edition of Jones. See you next week.